When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. Welcome, my stinky, smelly, swampy Second Print Comics Podcast fans. I am not trying to give you slack. I'm sure you guys smell wonderful at home, but we got a theme. We got a theme this whole month, actually. It's the Spooktober, and uh, in this particular episode, this is episode 13, In this episode we'll be looking at a creature, a character known as Swamp Thing, uh, and often known as, uh, you know, he's never really known as an A-level superhero-type character. He's always been somewhat obscure, but we're going to be looking today at the epic run uh, by Alan Moore that really defined the character in every way. Uh, But first, I have to introduce you to, of course, my co-host, my co-producer, my comic book partner in crime, the rambunctious Remzo Martinez. Remzo, how are you? Mark, I am doing absolutely awesome. And I want to go ahead and mention this before we jump into the swamp of the story. Folks, what we've got planned for 2021 is going to be fantastic. And thanks to all of you, our humble listeners, our loyal listeners, our, I, Mark, I'm going to say it, our far better looking listeners than other people's listeners. All of you have made this uh, such say. a fantastic, I think it's safe to we say. we got some lookers out I'll, there. You know who you we've are. We've seen you. I think, um, I think. Picks. You think we don't notice, but we do. We do. When you part that um, hair before you before you post your your new profile pic, we notice here on Second Print Comics Pod. No one else does, it's, but we do. It's getting a bit invasive. Yeah, anyway, we we've got a whole bunch of stuff coming your way, and I want to go ahead and give a shout out to our patrons again, the members of the Second Print Comics Fan Zone over on Facebook. We hit magic number fifty, and I think we mentioned it in the last episode. But you know, from this point on, if you want to get in with the fun, you've got to join us on Patreon, and we're giving you a ton of stuff out of it. You get the fan group on Facebook, where you, I mean the conversation there are pretty superb you know if i can say myself uh i've got a ton of remso rants diving deep into what's going on currently in the comic book industry hitting you every sunday uh we're in a rhythm posting regular reviews over at secondprintcomics.com and mark is gonna jump in with some new content coming out pretty regularly it's called claire continues mark what are you going to be covering with that all remso i'm glad you brought it up but because you brought it up means i have 
have to actually do it. So it's actually really Putting good. Putting you on the spot exactly. now. Uh, now, I'm actually, I've already been doing this uh, on my own time, and I realized, hey, if I'm going to be reading comics on my own time, I may as well be doing some bonus content for our, our amazing patrons out there. So, Make um, money, bitches! Right, so uh, a couple, uh, basically I'm going to take a couple of the, the books that we've started with on this main show, on the main program, and just keep reading. Now, uh, as I mentioned, it was episode three when I pro- talked about Savage Dragon. I went through the entire first archive edition of Savage Dragon, which includes, I think, the first 24, it's the first 24 uh, issues of the main series, as well as the three-issue miniseries that set it all up. So that was a lot to get through in one uh, one episode, uh, probably more so than I'll ever try to get through in one one episode ever again of this show, uh, doing 27 issues of a comic book. Uh, but what I plan to be doing, because I, like I said, I first started reading Savage Dragon in what 1993 uh, I've since uh, you know, I went through a little bit of dark period I went back and picked up the last few years of issues read all of that stuff now I've been fully caught up and now I'm going back since we started with those first issues I've just been continuing and, and just kind of reliving the magic from the beginning and uh, it's really amazing to do that while simultaneously reading the modern comic and seeing connections from issues in the freaking 90s to some of the characters that are around today it's really incredible to watch run, one creator like Eric Larson uh, uh, you know, go, uh, control his entire project and be able to kind of set things up. I'm sure he didn't intentionally necessarily set things up in 1993 that were going to pay off in in t- 2015, but he did it for you know for whether it was the grand plan or he just was able to work it out. Uh, either way, he's done stuff like that, and it's really amazing to go back and read. So what I'm going to be doing is taking a few select series that we dive into on the show, and I'm going to, as the name implies continue with them. I'm going to continue reading Bam! them and uh, just, you know, kind of hop on and give my thoughts. Uh, I'm going to kind of experiment. You know, when I do these episodes here, I do extensive notes. I take extensive notes so I can kind of, uh, and sometimes I take too extensive notes. I actually can get lost in the notes sometimes. So I'm trying to find the right mix of like can, kind of how much notes I should need to take or don't take. So this is going to be a little bit of an experiment in that because I'm taking no notes for this. I'm just reading them and then I'm going to pick up the books again and kind of flip through them and kind of talk about them as I go based on my, my very recent memory. So uh, I've been burning my way through the second Savage Dragon archives. Uh, I've also been continuing with, we just did this uh, two episodes ago, episode 11, when we looked at Hellboy, Seed of Destruction. I'm also going through all of the Hellboy graphic novels as well. That that made me want to go back and pick it up. And luckily, you know, I don't have to spend anything because my brother actually has like volumes three through five of the original series and then some of the original graphic novels that came out. So, you know, and since we did that episode, that is one tie that I think I've fallen more in love with, even so much as to say, I might watch that Hellboy remake. You know, Hellboy is an acquired taste, but as you go in the comics, it really, really grows on you because you get to know the character more, you get to know a supporting cast more, and you also get to know the mythology of this universe that Mike Mignola has been creating. So it's really a book that really hooks you. Like, if you just kind of enjoyed Sea of Destruction, I really think people are going to enjoy continuing and continuing. And yeah, I'm I'm considering, I mean, also, like I said, like I always say, I'll watch or read anything if it's free. Same policy I have have with Jonathan Hickman's X-Men, Tom King's Batman. Once it's free, I'll check it out. So once I this is like the, the passion of this is like the passion <laughs> of the Christ, but with reading bad comics. Yes, exactly. You're reading it and explaining to us for our sins. Exactly. But luckily, Hellboy and Savage Dragon are not bad comics. They are awesome comics. No. Uh, Savage Dragon, like I mentioned, is my favorite comic book of all time. Uh, despite sometimes my, my some of my disagreements with Eric Larson on Twitter as a as a you know political commentator, we don't need to go there. Uh, but uh, as a creator, I, that was interesting. As a creator, 
That's all I can say. As a creator, I absolutely love him. Because I can say great. I actually like Eric, Eric Larson a lot as a person, too. I just don't agree with him on everything. Uh, but anyway, I'll be doing uh, special little bonus segments for our patrons. So patreon.com slash secondprintpod. I'll be continuing with Savage Dragon, continuing with Hellboy, and perhaps... Perhaps continuing with the stories that we're going to be looking at today with the character I'm going to be looking at today. And uh, that is Swamp Thing. So um, if you don't have anything else, Remzo, I think it's time to dive right in. Yep, that was all the that was all the house notes. All right, Let's that, do it. I got another note. If you're a fan of this show, maybe you're short on cash. You want to support us, but you know you can't even afford five bucks a month. You got to spend that on other things. I totally understand. It's really tough times for a lot of people this year. But there's a free way you can support this free show, and that is by leaving us a five star rating and a great review on Apple Podcasts specifically. It, it costs you nothing, but nothing. it means everything to us. Exactly, and it truly does help us. Uh, you know, get especially now in this very early growth stage, those reviews, those ratings, they help that algorithm on not only on Apple Podcasts but so many other podcasters draw from Apple. So it really does help us get the show in front of more people so that's a way that we would appreciate highly highly uh anybody that would leave us a five-star rating and a great review specifically on apple Podcasts. but hey we'll take reviews anywhere we'll take reviews on your your personal blog or your twitter account we'll we'll take good words and reviews anywhere uh but moving into today's episode this is the the wrap-up of our spooktober little mini mini theme month here and uh the first character I thought of when we decided to, to have a Halloween kind of spooky, scary theme here is Swamp Thing, and specifically Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Now, uh, I was not reading comics in the 80s when uh, this this book first came out, when Alan Moore uh, first hopped over to mainstream U.S. comics and started working on Swamp Thing. Uh, but when I became a fan in the 90s, I became aware of, at some point, some of the more, you know, some of the more, more well-known comic book works out there, such as Watchmen and, uh, frankly, Miller's Dark Knight Returns. So those are some of the books that I I went back and read uh, sometimes sometime in the mid '90s. And I loved Alan Moore so much that I I learned about his Swamp Thing run, and I started collecting and reading his older Swamp Thing run. I, I went back and found some of those uh, original books from the '80s and read some of them. Uh, then it was only as I became back came back into fanhood, uh, you know, four or five years ago, that I went all the way in. So I, I reread a lot of the stuff that I had read in the '90s, some of the early saga of the Swamp Thing uh, stuff that Alan Moore had worked on, and I read the whole damn run of his. And it is... Other than Eric Larson's run on Savage Dragon, and I might put Robert Kirkman's Invincible in this, uh, it is my top tier of all-time comic book runs. That, that probably is my top three, to be honest. I, I've never really sat down and, and, and broken it all down there, but in some kind of order, those are definitely my top three runs of all time. So uh, we will be diving into this thing. And uh, a little background, Alan Moore is, of course, everyone's favorite grumpy and pro- prolific comic book writer. Uh, every few years you see him, few years, maybe like a few weeks, you see Alan Moore out with some commentary about how he hates Marvel movies, or he hates modern comic books, or he hates this and that. And uh, frankly, I enjoy the hell out of it. <laughs> uh, even, if, even, if I, even if I don't always agree with his opinions, I just enjoy that Alan Moore has embraced grumpy old bastard who knows he has written better stuff than anybody out there today and is not afraid to talk about how the medium in many ways, and he's right in many ways, uh, I think there's a lot of gems out there, but in many ways, modern comics have lost a lot of their charm that they have had uh, in the time that Alan Moore was was writing in the 80s and 90s. So uh, I love Alan Moore, though. I'm a huge fan of, of pretty much everything I've ever read by him. I've read his work on Supreme. I've read League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, you'll be hard-pressed to find an Alan Moore book that I haven't read. Uh, but this is the book where he really got his break into U.S. comic books. Before that, he was uh, an independent writer and an artist as well uh, all throughout the 70s in the United Kingdom. I think the most famous books he worked on were uh, 2000 AD and then, of course, V for Vendetta. That was the biggest thing he worked on um, in the U.K. before 
He got his start over in U.S. Comics with DC when DC brought him on and put him on this book, this uh, fl- somewhat fledgling book. He only took over with epi- with uh, issue 20 uh, with Saga of the Swamp Thing. So before we dive in, Ramzo, before we start preparing for the show, had you ever read Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run? I'll be straight with you. I didn't really know who Swamp Thing was until like three years ago. I mean, I kind of knew who he was. I always got him confused with Man-Thing over at Marvel. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, I, I will clarify it now. There's often a confusion as to what came first, Man-Thing or Swamp-Thing. I can't confirm because I did my homework. Uh, Man-Thing will come out 16 years after Swamp-Thing is first introduced. So Man-Thing is a knockoff of Swamp-Thing. But I, I first uh, really got familiar with Swamp-Thing in the Injustice 2 video game. You know, that that game, every, everyone freaking loved it. It spawned like a three-title uh, continuing comic book series written by Tom Taylor. And, uh, you know, I, it, it was just... The thing about Alan Moore is that him and... Um, uh, him and him who wrote Neil Sandman? Gaiman. I knew you were gonna say Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. I knew yeah. it. <laughs> they, their stuff is just. I think there's this part of me that's still like a child in the sense that I remember the comics that intimidated me as a kid, and because of that, in adulthood, it's hard for me to want to go back and read it. Like I, I have Neil Gaiman's Sandman audiobook on my phone. It's fantastic, by the way. I haven't finished it because I end up falling asleep. Like twenty minutes in, I listen to it before I go to bed. Uh, but this how is ironic thing, falling asleep oh, to Sandman. You know, <laughs> the it, dreams it you must itself. have. They're trippy. Uh, but I mean, i i read I read the I read the volume that we're going to discuss today probably three years ago. I just remember being confused a lot. So I'm hoping that today I'll be able to pick your brain and kind of figure this out as we kind of walk through it. Because, I mean, I, I love Alan Moore. I lo- I'm a big watchin- Watchmen fan. I mean, you know, Meth Santa is my, one of my favorite writers. Um, you know, I think he rapes a lot <laughs> of people. That is an amazing. That is an amazing. To be clear, you mean in his book. Just to be clear. In his book. I, I clarified being, that. Okay. Yeah. No, no, I'm Met just saying, Santa, like, that's... That is, that's <laughs> I'm never going to be able to look at him without thinking that. <laughs> like, he, he acts like he doesn't... Like, this isn't a criticism of him. It's just an observation. Like, I don't like, I don't like this presumptive behavior. He says he doesn't really like his fans... But they make him rich. He says he doesn't really like comics, but he's always trying to plug his own stuff. He said, just let your freak flag fly. Yeah, you do a lot of hallucinogenics. You worship a snake god from the Babylonian Empire. That's cool, bro. I'm not judging. Just be friendly. Just be friendly. And use less dialogue. That's my only criticism. (laughs) Yeah, in some ways, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know the man personally, so I have no idea. In some ways, I feel like at this point, Alan Moore is just playing a character. You know, like he's playing the grumpy bastard who hates everything. And maybe that is who he really is. I've never met him in real life. But to me, it just feels... You, you know, Rob Rob Liefeld says the same thing in his show. There you go. He says that what you see is kind of an act. Yeah, that's that's the way I take it. Um, so I, I never get offended when Alan Moore says he hates his fans as, as a fan of Alan Moore. I'm never personally offended by that. In fact, in a weird way, I appreciate it. So I don't know. He is what he is. His personality is his personality. Uh, but either way, I love his writing. And I totally understand what you mean by, by when you talk about, you know, so, sort of an intimidating books. Because Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore... These guys, I don't want to disparage other comic book writers because I, I definitely appreciate comic book writing as an actual writing form. I would never just say just comic book writers, except I'm about to say it. A lot of other comic book writers are kind of just comic book writers, but guys like Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman more specifically because he has actually written like many novels. Um, 
are writers. They're real, real writers. Like they really look, I think they even look at the comic book medium as I'm going to write a novel and include pictures in it and, and, and kind of adapt it to this form. Yes. And that can be yes. intimidating for a young reader. Uh, and in many ways, like even, even loving these books, sometimes if I go to pick up like the next Sandman volume or, you know, the next Alan Moore book, I kind of have to be like, all right, am I really in the room, in the mood for this? Like, I know I'm going to like it once I get into it, but it's not, I don't want to keep bringing it up. It's not like bringing up, you know, whipping out the next Hickman's X-Men, knowing I'm not going to get attached to it, knowing I'm not going to give a shit. I can just kind of turn my brain off, read whatever nonsense he's doing, and and move on with my life. But an Alan Moore book. It, it feels like kind of a chore. I mean, I'll, I'll say yeah. that. Like, there's a difference. Like, last week we covered uh, Ghost Rider, the Legends of Sleepy Hollow, Illinois. No one can say that's a work of, like, prime fiction. Sure. But it's not a chore. But it flies. It's a- yeah. It flies right yeah. there. So it's all about, to me, it's all about the mood I'm in. I have to be in a certain kind of mood for a certain kind of book. Sometimes I know I just don't want to think too much about something. Or I know that I'm, I'm going to read a book for Second Print Comics and I know I'm going to take notes. i got to be in the right mood to like really take notes and super pay attention to something. Whereas, you know, there's some other books if I'm just flipping through Marvel Unlimited or what have you, I can just, yeah, I can just happen upon something like a, a random X-Men book or a random Spider-Man book and just read it and not think too deeply into it. But you can't really do that with any Alan Moore book. Uh, even something that on the surface, no. like his Supreme work is like, is amazing. Uh, he even did a couple issues of Spawn and he, but you know, he always, you got it. He always tries to make you think and he, he never takes, he never lets things be too simple, but they're not stupidly complicated, which is, I guess how I would sometimes classify, I hate to pick on the guy. I actually do think he's a very good writer and enjoy a lot of his work. But as far as the X-Men and stuff goes, uh, it's way too freaking complicated, Jonathan Hickman. Hickman. When Alan Moore's stuff is complicated, when Al- when Neil Gaiman's stuff is complicated, it's complicated with a purpose. It's ki- it, it, make, it all ends up making perfect sense and tying together so perfectly. So as long as you're in the mood to read it, um, once you get into it, I think it's, it's going to suck you right in. But you do got to be in the right kind of mood. I agree. Yeah. I feel like whenever I read uh, any of more stuff and I start to kind of drift off, I can hear his voice in the background like, excuse me, <laughs> are you paying attention? And I'm like, are you getting bored? Okay, I'll pay attention. Are you getting bored? Is my work not entertaining you? I'm sorry, should I have Rob Liefeld draw it? All right. Would that excite you if something had bigger muscles? <laughs> to all our British fans out there, I apologize for the absolutely horrible, horrible impression. We just lost the entire United we just lost Kingdom. All of UK except for Scotland and Wales. They're totally, they're fine with it. They don't have a problem with it. Um, all right, but moving into this, um, like I said, Alan Moore took over Saga of the Swamp Thing in 1984. DC Comics brought him in. This is basically what has, has always been seen. Like I said, you hadn't even heard of the character. I'm not even saying Moore's work elevated the character to an A level. I don't think Swamp Thing has ever been considered an A level character, but uh, this run certainly made the character a lot more serious of a character and actually redid you know it's one thing when you see a lot of writers that redo origins and they're kind of recreating history that you know even jeff johns does does stuff like this where where he and he usually does a really great job with it like he he kind of redid uh hal jordan's origin and a little bit and changed some things and it's just kind of adding to the history and he, and he does it really well but you know alan moore recreated swamp things origin without having to change anything without actually having to change any of the events that you'd ever seen in the character without having to reimagine that something else occurred that we didn't see um it's 
the same origin, but we get a different understanding of it. And I really like the way that he does this. So we're going to dive right in here. Uh, this starts off, basically what we're looking at is the um, the first trade paperback that collects Alan Moore's Saga of the Swamp Thing run. Uh, so this will be issues number 20 through 27. It's basically two, two story arcs here. Uh, but the main one starts off... Uh, with Saga of the Swamp Thing, number 20, uh, writing by Alan Moore, pencils by da- Dennis Day, or Dan Day, I'm sorry. And uh, now this is going to be one of those things where it's it's a little bit hard to judge the art because there's a couple different artists that we'll see uh, even during this run here. But uh, Alan Moore, of course, is consistently the writer throughout. So uh, this is chapter one uh, of, of this novel, of this graphic novel, of this trade paperback. This is called Loose Ends because they're actually tying up uh, the story arc from these first 20 issues, of, of first 19 issues or so of Saga of the Swamp Thing, where Swamp Thing battles his arch nemesis, uh, Dr. Arcane. And uh, if anybody out there has ever seen, uh, you're probably too young for this, but maybe not, uh, because you did know about the Hulk show and and had more details about that than I did. Uh, But I actually, my first exposure to Swamp Thing, even before these books, was the the Swamp Thing series. Not the most recent one on DC Universe, but there was an earlier Swamp Thing series. I am am not... I'm I'm literally going to watch that after this because the, the new whole one or thing, the old one? I, well, the new one, the, the DC Universe one, like because it's Halloween, I feel like I'm more inclined to want to watch. It. I'm watching that and Hellstrom, uh, you know, Satan Hellstrom on Hulu. But uh, but yeah, no, I I know that they're he. It surprised me when I was doing my homework. Swamp Thing didn't just have one movie; he had two movies, and he had a live action TV show. And he had a cartoon. Yeah, he's been around. Swamp Thing's gotten around. You'd be surprised. Was he that popular? I don't know if he was that popular, but he's a character that always seemed like someone that would be good to license, I suppose. I mean, he's a pretty unique character in some ways. Kids, Kids like, like monsters. monsters. Exactly. Especially lovable monsters. We'll decide how lovable Swamp Thing is as we go along. I don't know. This <laughs> version of him is, is, yeah. is somewhat lovable, I think. Uh, maybe not physically lovable, but hey, you got to see the inner beauty, my folks. And uh, <laughs> Even the yes, green the needs green love. Needs love. Uh, so this starts off uh, kind of after the aftermath, and I, I didn't read the first 19 issues of this series, so I'm not going to tell you what happened. But basically, Swamp Thing had a battle with his arch nemesis, which who is Dr. Arcane. And um, so he's basically like searching the swamp after this battle, and he finds the body of Dr. Arcane. So, uh, and one thing he says while he's looking for the body, he says, if you don't see the body, the rotten stuff keeps coming back. I like a lot of quotes here from Swamp Thing, which is, of course, Alan Moore's writing that, that's seeping through, through the voice of Swamp Thing. But I, I think he just says, I'm going to keep pointing them out as we go through this review. Uh, swamp Thing just has a lot of cool shit here. It's all, it's all related to something rotting or something in the swamp, but it always makes sense in the context of the story. Um I always imagine like the beatnik kid, like in the back of your English class, like, wow, that's, that's so, so deep, poetic. Man. Rotten stuff. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow, man. Uh, so he does come upon Dr. Arcane's body and boy, Dr. Arcane's body is absolutely horrific. And it's, it's, this is one thing that I, I do like about reading, um, reading books on, on comicsology is that in the, in the original edition of this, this is like, I don't know, like eight or nine panels kind of laid out in a, in a way where everything's kind of small, you know, like in a re, in the regular book. But I like that you can do the comic reading view on Comixology and get sort of like a full page version of what would normally be a smaller panel. So what I might not have noticed so much in the details of Dr. Arcane in the original comic, boy, when I do this Comixology, you like zoom into the panels like, oh, my God, this guy looks disgusting. He looks like he looks like the Crypt Keeper and Sloth had a baby and then it and then it decayed. I mean, it, it's, ah. it's nasty. He's just gross. Um, um, 
So Swamp Thing is just there. He's pondering, uh, pondering the death of Doctor Arcane, pondering his relationship with Doctor Arcane. Uh, he ponders like how they sort of defined each other in many ways. And now that he's now that Doctor Arcane is dead, now that his arch nemesis is dead, what's an old swamp creature to do right now? So he's just kind of, yeah, just kind of wandering around the swamp, sort of finding himself. Um, meanwhile, we see this, uh, th- this general guy, he wants to kill Swamp Thing, so, uh, they've decided that they're going to go with the, the, what they, what they actually call in this book, I really like this, they call this the UFO approach, uh, to go look for Swamp Thing, so basically what they're gonna do, they're gonna roll into a town with the whole military, they're gonna tell all the locals, uh, you gotta get out of here, uh, there's some UFOs, we're just investigating things, and I like how they use UFOs as the, the fake thing. You know, we all, we often picture the government, you know, in real life, the men in black or what have you. They come in, they tell everybody, oh, it was just a weather balloon. Don't worry about it. Here they're actually coming in and saying it was a UFO. Don't worry. We're just looking at a UFO. We're not looking to go on a massacre and kill a swamp creature and all his friends. We're not doing that. We're just looking at this UFO. Imagine what it's like. Imagine what it's like to be a civilian in the DC universe. It's like, honey, I'm going to Gotham for work. Don't you know the explosive penguins everywhere? Well, I guess I'm yeah, teleworking. It's got to be a. It's got to be a weird thing. You think you think coronavirus is bad? Uh, imagine when the Floranic Man threatens to to burn the Earth to death. But <laughs> so uh, yeah, the military is heading out, and they're uh, they're going to take care of Swamp Thing for whatever reason. And uh, we all then meet uh, Elizabeth Tremaine. I will say I don't know much about these characters. These are kind of leftover characters from the last story. Uh, but she's walking with her boyfriend, Dennis. Uh, and frankly, I wrote this down. Uh, I don't know much about them, and I don't care, because they don't matter at all for this run. But they were, this is kind of leftovers from the last story. And uh, I, but I, I did find the scene kind of funny, because Dennis is getting rejected really hard by, I don't even know if it's his girlfriend, but they're, they're walking together. And he's getting rejected. She, she basically says, like, oh, last night. This is what the guy says. Dennis says, he's like, oh, so last night meant nothing? Because I guess they just slept together the night before, I guess. And um, and uh, she's like, yeah, no, not really. I'm not not really feeling it. So uh, Denny, Denny seemed a little heartbroken there. Uh, he's... <laughs> He says, uh, oh, she says, oh, I don't know. If we were living out in, in Miami or something or somewhere, we'd be riching our, we're, we're ripping each other's throats out within a month. I mean, we're not going to work out as an item. Come on. What were you? Of course, of course that meant nothing. And he's just like, poor guy just kind of like storms off. <laughs> so usually we see this the opposite way, uh, you know. Or we, I don't know if we see it the opposite way in real life, but the stereotype is it's always that the woman is the clingy one or what have you. But uh, uh, Alan Moore flipped the script here because Dennis was uh, Dennis was fully in on Elizabeth Tremaine here, and uh, she was just not feeling it. And she told him right up. She's like, "Yeah, yeah, what are you talking about? No, we just we just had a thing. Chill out, boy." She's a strong, independent woman who don't yeah, need. But anyway, no they don't matter. So <laughs> we're gonna move on from them. <laughs> uh, we see the government, the army, what have you, arriving in town. Uh, meanwhile, Abigail, now Abigail is actually an important character. Uh, I think her actual name is Abigail Arcane because she is the daughter of the original Dr. Arcane. There's a whole history with her and her husband, Matt Cable, that uh, I won't go into the whole thing. It's I, I looked it up. It's a lot of stuff. But essentially, they are Swamp King, Swamp Thing, Swamp King, uh, Swamp Things. Uh, she's basically Swamp Things. Uh, BFF slash best friend. Uh, we'll see where this relationship goes. Something like something that. Like yeah, that, it's, it's yeah. a little weird thing. And apparently, um, there's something brewing in the swamp. If you get what I'm saying. And uh, her husband is Matt Cable. And uh, this is a, a storyline that had been going on previously. But Matt Cable has basically been possessed. And um, I, I, I guess Swamp Thing had told Abigail that Matt was causing all these monsters and horrors and other things to to come out in a, a previous storyline. And Matt says, yeah, it was true. Like, I, I did, but I overcame that stuff. So don't worry about it. I, I figured out all the demons and the monsters that were coming out of my mind. 
Abby, nothing to worry about. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so Matt's trying to win Abby back over, and uh, she's just, like, not feeling it at all. And um, turns out after she leaves and walks off, we find out Matt is still having visions of, of weird, creepy visions. She has this, like, sexy, blue, demonic lady, like, giving him a lap dance while he's drinking alone in the house after Abby leaves. So... There's major, major weird stuff going on with Matt Cable, and uh, that will continue as this series goes on for sure. It, yeah, and I, and I want to preface, um, you know, like the thing about th- there were there were really kind of two swamp things. There's the one that was introduced, I think, like ten years prior to this, and it was really just a, you know, a guy who guys powers as a result of a lab accident. The thing that Moore did, which is really define the character and really expanded a whole different realm of the DC universe. It's that you've got this mystic element and, you know, when Mark brings up, you know, demons and other horrifying monsters and stuff, I mean, what we're dealing with is now not just somebody who turned into a swamp thing as a result of a lab accident, but somebody who has merged with something beyond you know, our conceived reality. And I think what, you know, what we're going to see more of just layers this yep, going indeed, forward. Indeed. Layers and layers and layers. That is, that is what Alan Moore is all about. Um, we then see uh, Elizabeth and Dennis again. I think Dennis is just sitting outside this motel uh, where they've been staying, just just bummed out. I guess he's just really upset that last night meant nothing at all to Elizabeth. Um, but uh, this lady is ranting about some guy that was there looking for them. This guy, he's she's like, was it Donald Sutherland? I think it was Donald Sutherland. And she's like, oh wait, no, that's the actor. So, something like that. So we 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 hear about someone was out there looking for them. And um, and this other weird Southern guy, I'm not actually sure what this guy's deal was. He like grabs the keys and goes to the room. Uh, and this guy blows up and that was there I think he was trying to let them into their room and he blows up so this whoever guy had been looking for them uh, planted some kind of bomb in their room so they take the hell off because obviously they shouldn't be around this motel right now uh, meanwhile, Swamp Thing uh, sees the military coming in. They're coming into the swamp. They're just burning this thing down. They've got flamethrowers. Um, there's a helicopter that blows up uh, Matt and Abby's house, I believe. I believe that's Matt. Yeah. Uh, so shit's just going down. Uh, and Swamp Thing is just running from the, f- the flames and and the lights. And at the end of the issue, he is shot like a million times uh, by, by the military. Uh, and then the army finds the body and they declare Swamp Thing to be dead. So that is how Alan Moore starts off this run. I'm going to assume, since you knew there were more issues to come, that you didn't buy Swamp Thing's death. But but uh, what did you think of how they did this in the first episode? <laughs> or first episode. I did it again. I did it again. Episodes, issues, issues, episode. It'll never uh, this, end. Just accept it. What did you think about it. what they did with Swamp Thing here in the first issue where uh, he's pretty much just walking around, finding himself, thinking about life, and then just gets slaughtered by the military? Uh, well, Well, first off, you never start a story typically with... A villain's death, especially with what they did to Dr. Arcane. So this is something that you usually don't see when you're writing a story uh, for any series. I think this actually probably happened at at like the end of the last arc and then Alan Moore took over and was just kind of, you know, picking up the pieces and tying some things together. I'll take it. I'll pick it up. Don't worry. It's mine now. That now he got Australian in my mind, so I don't know what happened there. <laughs> so, so like you know, I, for for that, it's definitely kind of interesting. But what I like about Swamp Thing is that he's really a B horror 
monster and i and i love like the universal monsters and that type of stuff with man thing it was always too generic but with swamp thing they know how to bring you back in that sense while at the same time adding on and we're gonna get to a lot of that but you know from where you have the military coming in that reminds me very much of the early uh jack kirby stanley hulk run uh that you know i like and what peter davidson did peter david he can be davidson in your world peter david yeah peter david in uh spc earth 612 it's peter Davidson. if it works in the multiverse it works here but yeah so i mean you get you have some of those classic hulk elements some of the classic b horror elements so i mean i i like what's going on i think it's a little bit slow because by the time we get to the end of the issue now you've killed the title character but everyone knows that you know it's a gimmick death so you've got my attention you've you're planting the seeds no no swamp thing jokes intended but i wanna you know i want to see what's going up Next. All right. So moving on to Saga of the Swamp Thing number 21. By the way, I'm just noticing this now. What, do you want to guess the cover price of this book of Saga of the Swamp Thing what in 1984? Year? 1984. 50 cents. A little low, actually. 75. 75 cents. Oh, which wow. actually kind of seems actually high for 84. So How many pages was it? Uh, normal. I think the story is like 22 pages each. Plus, oh, wow. they take out, you know, they take out all the ads for the reprint. It's probably actually 30 with all the ads and whatever was in there originally. Oh, back before we started destroying our money. Before everything had to be $3.99. We, Remzo and I could go for about four hours on how our money has been destroyed by the Federal Reserve, but we will not. You can check out our <laughs> other work for that. You can listen to me on Lines of Liberty. You can check out On the Run with Renzo Martinez. Blah, blah, blah. That's not what we're here to talk about. But boy, boy, is it obvious looking at some of these covers from the 80s. Anyway, we now meet in Saga of the Swamp Thing number 21. We meet Dr. Jason Woodrew, who is better known as the Floronic Man. Ramzo, I've got to know, before this, had you ever heard of the Floronic Man? Yes, because I watched the one Batman animated movie nobody likes to talk about. Batman and Harley Quinn, or Harley Quinn and Batman. It's just, you remember the short blonde chick from Big Bang Theory? Honestly, I have never seen that show. Man. Wow, you were not missing out. Anyway, I, I think, think her name—I think her name was like Melissa Roush or something. Uh, she plays the voice of Harley Quinn, and in that film, she teams up with Batman and Nightwing to take out Poison Ivy and the Floronic Man. And ironically, Swamp Thing has a cameo in the film, but it was—it's uh, not worth watching. I watched it for free, which was nice, but I would never advise paying money to watch that. All right, so we meet Dr. Jason Woodrow. I have not seen it, but I, I now definitely don't. won't. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I do love to hate read, I don't love to hate watch it, as much fun. as I love to hate read. You know, you know, I think if I watched it like you know, with a glass of whiskey or something, I would enjoy it more. Well, sure. That's one of those things. It's one of those things. Okay. So, yeah, we meet Dr. Jason Woodrow, and he, Alan Moore, does some interesting things with time and the storytelling here, because, and it can get confusing in theory, but I, I think it's not too confusing here, because now J- Dr. Jason Woodrow is actually reflecting on this man that he's got, like, frozen in this thing. So, uh, uh, we don't know who that man is yet. But Normal lab stuff. <laughs> yeah, but we're going to find out. He's, he's thinking about the old man, the old man who's now pounding on the glass right about now, uh, and we'll find out what that means in a little bit. But uh, basically, uh, Dr. Jason Woodrow was hired by this guy, Sunderland, Sutherland, Sunderland, not Donald Sutherland, uh, who was, you know, he's he's basically the, the I don't know. I, it was not clear to me because he's like the head of some corporation and they were using the military. So it's not really clear, like, 
how this guy got Swamp Thing or what have you. But anyway, this guy's got Swamp Thing now, and he's studying this him. This is an allegory for the it's, corporations. It's an allegory, mate. I don't know why I keep making him Australian. It's an allegory, you bloody wanker. I just got a picture of Alan Moore's commentary on this the whole time. How Can do you not understand what you're watching? Do you think if we send him this podcast, he'll do it? an Alan Moore writer's cut of the podcast? He'll just talk over it? He'll come out with an article, America should not exist because of those two. Second fucking print my bloody ass. All right, yeah. I, my British is getting more and more Australian every time. This just so, got so marked explicit. <laughs> it, did. it did. We're scaring off all of our uh, English language, but not English, American, English accented uh, friends out there in the world. Stay we with us, Canadians. All. Stay with us. We mock because we love. That's all I can say. Uh, but uh, Jason Woodrow here, he is a uh, he has the, you see a flashback now to him with this old man, and they are looking at Swamp Thing, the frozen body of Swamp Thing. So uh, Sunderland has brought in Doctor Jason Woodrow, who is this uh, botanist specialist. I don't think it's publicly known. Maybe it is. Probably not. I have no idea what that he is actually the Floronic man in his they, other they life. They don't know yet. They don't know. Okay, they don't know. But that will all yeah things will happen. You know, <laughs> and, but they don't. I know, but they don't know. So yeah, he's um. Basically, uh, Wood, uh, Woodrow then, or the old man, uh, accounts uh, recounts the origin of a Swamp Thing. That he was once uh, this guy, Alec Holland, uh, and when there was an explosion uh, in this lab in the swamp, that he was, you know, he's researching these chemicals that were supposed to do something to plants or whatever. Uh, it, was, it was a formula that was supposed to help with crop growth. The formula, but after the explosion, um, you know, he turned it turned him into this creature. He merged with the plants and turned into Swamp Thing. That is the traditional origin of Swamp Thing. Um, but the formula didn't affect Alec Holland's wife, who was also in the blast. She was just killed in the blast. So Dr. Woodrow was asking himself, like, why Why did it create Swamp Thing? Why did his wife die? And why did that, that same explosion turn him into Swamp Thing? So we're already starting to see a little question of like, okay, so what's going on here? Are we questioning the whole thing? I guess we are. Uh, we then, of course, learn that yeah, I guess Sunderland does know does know his his, his thing because uh, uh, we uh, Woodrow basically uses this spray and uh, it's a spray that I guess like both keeps him looking human and then he can also spray that off to to reveal his plant like under underneath. So uh, we, this is where we learn that Woodrow is the Floronic man and and he's hired. All right, he's like he's asking about his credentials and he, that's when he sprays the thing and he, I he am sprays, a black person. Oh wait, why am I making him Alan? I don't Moore? know. Why did you make him Alan Moore? <laughs> I got a fucking plant under my skin. <laughs> what don't you understand about this? <laughs> you don't think I'm fucking qualified? So he's hired because he's a plant. He was like, he's not so sure about his credentials. Then he sees that he's a plant. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, you're 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 the man. Uh, so Doctor Woodrow starts performing this autopsy on Swamp Thing, and uh, the autopsy is really revealing some interesting things. Like he has these lungs, but when Doctor Woodrow examines them, he realizes they aren't real lungs. They're just these like plants and these vegetables in the shape of lungs. Uh, his brain. He's got a brain. It's shaped like a brain. But it's not a brain. Like, when he actually breaks it down, it's just vegetables. It's just in the shape of a brain. Same with his heart. Same with his kidneys. So, so Floronic Man is really starting to question, you know, what exactly is Swamp Thing? He's, he's this creature with all these human-looking organs, 
but they're not actually those organs. They're just more plant. It's just more of the same stuff. Um, also, Floronic Man does not like uh, Sunderland at all. He calls him, uh, Sunderland calls him a, um, a freak. He threatens to throw him to jail. Uh, there's also a scene where Floronic Man is, is taking a shower and washing off his fake human skin, and, and that was very weird. I just I just wrote down there. Very weird scene. Uh, very weird, creepy art there with uh, when he's in there. Man, it's just, ugh. Page, it's in the in the paperback, it's it's page 45, if you ever get the collection, where they show the scene of, of him taking a shower and emerging as the Floronic Man. Um, the answer to all of this is planarian worms. Uh, this is what Dr. Woodrow comes up with. He talks about these creatures called planarian worms. And uh, basically these, I don't know if this is a real thing. I probably should have researched it. It's pretty fascinating if true. Uh, but they would teach these mice to run a maze. And then the worms would eat the dead mice, and the worms would then know how to run the same maze because they would basically take on the properties, some of the the properties within the mouse. I should really just Google if planarian worms are a thing. That is some horrifying shit. So we're starting to get some ideas here. Like, what could be going on here? So Floronic Man now says, Dr. Woodger says, Alec Holland was killed by dynamite in the explosion. Uh, and his body was sent into the swamp along with that formula, and his body decomposed there in the swamp. Uh, the plants then became infected with the consciousness of Alec Holland, and that consciousness of Alec Holland that went into the, the plant life had no idea that it had died. That consciousness, that plant consciousness, it sort of uh, then built itself a body and a skeleton out of wood, uh, built himself a, you know, body parts and organs out of all this plant material, built himself a skeleton out of wood because that's what his that's what he remembered being but it's not actually alex alec holland like he thought it was like swamp thing always thought he was swamp thing thought that he that the explosion transformed him into swamp thing that's not what happened we learn what happened is alec holland died and that decomposing body was basically merged with the swamp along with this chemical and much like the planarian worms would take on the properties of the mice of the mouse that were dead um this i guess these the, you know these vegetables the swamp and all of that stuff took on properties of alec holland uh, not just his consciousness his personality his memories but also made an attempt to form this weird non-functional human-esque body so what did you think just of the reveal of, of Woodrow's revelation here about what Swamp Thing really is. I liked it a lot. I thought it was really like, wow, that was a really interesting way to give us a new origin of Swamp Thing, not make him Alec Holland, but not changing anything about what we've ever read in the comics. I think it's one of those metal origins ever. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of a retcon because it wasn't in his like, you know, direct debut origin. But it's a retcon because we didn't know it, but it's not retconning anything you've seen. You know yeah, I mean? it's it's not changing anything. It's just explaining it. And the way exactly. that they did it is – like, listen, it's hard to do original origin stories. It's hard to really find new ways to give people powers. I mean, it got so hard like 80 years ago that Stanley and Jack Kirby were like, we'll just make mutants. We'll just make them born with it. But what Moore did here – by not making him Alec Holland, but by making him someone that thinks he's Alec Holland, Alec Holland, he, it's literally creating two characters. And that is, that's metal right there. I was impressed. Yeah. Uh, the first time I read this, I was like, whoa, that's awesome. That actually is really, really interesting and changes nothing. It changes everything. It changes everything because because this whole time, well, we'll see. We'll see what how Swamp Thing reacts to, to this. Cause that, well, it's like, next. you know, I, I always brought it down to like this. Without without cookies, 
is the cookie monster just a monster? Whoa. It just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, so like without Alec Holland, is Swamp does Swamp Thing really have a soul? Is he just a Swamp Thing? And what does that mean? Is he just a Swamp Thing? Without the damn cookies. Okay. So uh, the Sunderland It's gonna bother you at night. So Doctor Doctor Woodrow is telling this all to Sunderland. That's how we learn about it. And Sunderland's like, All right, well, uh, that was good to know. Uh, that's all I need from you. I don't. I don't want you. I, I've got. I have money. I don't need to like figure this stuff out. You found out the thing I need to know. Now I know what Swamp Thing is. So uh, fuck off. You're fired. I, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. You you fucking plant man freak. Like this guy is such a freak. Um, so he gets fired. Um, uh, so Floronic Man is not happy about that. So he takes control of the building from that room and he lowers the thermostats. Uh, like a lot, and that so that's why we had seen like Sunderland kind of in like a, a freezing room earlier. Um, so now we're kind of back in the present time here, and uh, you know he, he says like old man. The, he says that you can't kill a vegetable by shooting it in the head. That's what Woodrow's narration says, and he says, but the old man he doesn't have the correct background to figure that out. So I guess he's never going to figure it out. Jokes on you. So he got fired because the the old man was like, I don't need all this background to know this stuff. I already know what I need. And then Floronic Man kind of gets his revenge by realizing, all right, well, I guess I won't tell you anymore. I guess I won't tell you that that thing, whatever it is, it's not Alec Holland, but it ain't dead, buddy. Um, So uh, Swamp Thing is now alive. And they never died because you can't kill a plant by shooting it. Uh, He is waiting in Sunderland's office for him. So Swamp Thing is pissed off. And uh, Floranic Man says that the old man, you know, he's not in danger. Swamp Thing's not violent. Swamp Thing doesn't around, go around killing people. Well, unless that creature read my notes, is what Floronic Man says. And then Swamp Thing will realize he no longer has any hope of transforming back to Alec Holland because Alec Holland, his, Alec Holland is dead and he was never Alec Holland. So now we then see that the old man has been murdered by Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing, this formerly, uh, I guess, you know, happy creature or, you know, peaceful creature, he did murder uh, Sunderland for trying to kill him. I guess the combination of him trying to kill him or attempting to kill him along with keeping him frozen in a freezer uh, and then also the, the trauma of, re- of reading Woodrow's notes and Swamp Thing realizing, like, holy shit, I'm not even, al- I'm not even who I thought I was my whole life. My whole life is actually only my time as Swamp Thing. I've never been Alec Holland. That guy's dead. I've just thought I was him. Like, it's, it's got to be such a mindfuck for him. Uh, especially the, you know, the one big hope with Swamp Thing was always, oh, I can find the cure. Like, I can find some way to transform myself back to Alec Holland. But now he knows that's impossible because there's nothing to transform back to because he was never Alec Holland. So I, I love this. This is one of my favorite issues of this entire run. Just the entire reveal. I love the way that Floronic Man figured it out i love the way that he set up sunderland to get you know just murdered by an angry angry swamp thing just by uh you know by lowering the thermostat knowing the swamp thing wasn't really dead because he couldn't be dead uh and, and we end the issue with uh sunderland dead in the freezer and floronic man uh floronic man just really wants to go study swamp thing now he's like super fascinated with him because floronic man is like a, a plant type creature himself but uh he doesn't have that same you know that same curiosity of what Swamp Thing is. I mean, he's, I don't really know Floronic Floronic Man's origin. They don't go into it, but uh, I I assume he is as equally fascinated by finding out the truth about Swamp Thing as I was. So you already commented on on Swamp Thing's origin, but what do you think about the whole thing where uh, he actually killed Sunderland, where he was formerly just like a peaceful guy, you know, he was more of a protective creature. He protected the swamp, he protected his friends, but now he's, he's actually gone out and just said, fuck it, I'm angry, I'm killing this guy. What what I like about Moore's writing is that nothing is done without intention. 
And with this, it really makes the reader begin to question, like, you know, the, 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 the cookie monster thing. Like, without cookies, is Cookie Monster just a monster? Without Alec Holland, is Swamp Thing just a monster? Just a thing. And, and, you know, maybe I'm overthinking it. And, you know, if I were to ask um, Alan Moore what that whole thing was really about, he'd be like, frozen vegetables are a lie. <laughs> it's like, okay, maybe I was thinking too maybe hard this was into a, Maybe it. this was an allegory. It's, a, it's an allegory. <laughs> About frozen vegetables. Oh. You should not put Swamp Thing in a freezer. <laughs> uh, we start Saga of the Swamp Thing at number, number 22. Always to frost your vegetables. <laughs> or, Only eat organic. Or they'll kill you. Um, Abby is out uh, with, with Matt looking for Swamp Thing. And uh, they do find Swamp Thing's body. and uh, But it turns out Alec, uh, or what she is still calling Alec, I should say, because she doesn't know about his new secret origin, uh, he's rooted into the swamp. He's not just the body. So I guess he killed Sunderland, then wandered out into the swamp and just laid down and just, you know, he his plants, he's becoming one with the swamp in a physical way. He's merging with the, you know, with all the, all the foliage, and he's actually becoming rooted within the swamp itself. So... Abby is really shocked by this. She's excited to see him, but, uh, you know, she's kind of freaked out by the situation, uh, so to speak. So we then see a Floronic man spraying himself with the spray he has that turns him into human form. And, you know, Matt Cable is saying, oh, uh, you know, it's too bad Swamp Thing's dead. Like, he doesn't actually seem that upset. He's like, great. The guy you're probably really in love with is dead. Big deal. And uh, off, off screen, you hear Floronic man say, no, not dead. Or Alan Moore, no, not dead. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, yeah, so uh, they're talking a little bit, and uh, I guess uh, she had known who Sunderland was, and Floronic Man says, oh, yeah, no, I, I rescued Swamp Thing from, from there. I took him out of there. You know, he was he was being held by that Sunderland guy, so, um, but I got to tell you, he's like, I got I to gotta break something to you. I found some evidence that he's not really Alec Holland here. Um, so she's all she was upset because he wasn't breathing anymore, uh, but he's like, no, don't worry. He just stopped pretending to breathe. He was just pretending to breathe before. Uh, he's not really Alec Holland. He's just this, like, Swamp creature that thinks he's Alec Holland. So that's weird. Uh, she thinks that's pretty weird. Uh, and he also starts talking about these like these things that he's uh, he's growing basically like vegetables off of him. Uh, he's call he calls them tubers, and he says they're like they're edible vegetables, like like a yam. And uh, that makes Abby just sick to her stomach. The idea that her her best friend, her her old buddy here, is growing like edible fruits and vegetables just makes her it takes sick. eat me to a whole new level. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and Floronic Man says. How I envy you. I wonder where you are right now in, in reference to Swamp Thing. This is him thinking himself because he knows that Swamp Thing is – he's not just in his body. He is in the green. He is connected with nature. He is he is where a Floronic Man wants to be. He wants to be one with the plants, and um, that is that is hence his fascination, fascination with Swamp Thing. And we see where Swamp Thing is. He is in this crazy, crazy, crazy dream world here in the green, and this is where Alan Moore – gets a little weird for us uh they're basically at alex wedding reception um it's all sorts of stuff happens he meets abby there um this is actually alec holland not swamp thing and uh he sees his wife sink sinking into the ground they uh these like people put swamp thing into this suit uh they call it a mud suit and and matt wipes the mud suit off and he and then but there's nobody there once he wipes it away and he's like well where's Alec oh Alec isn't in there so we're kind of bouncing back between Alec uh, in this dream world and Matt and Abby like trying to figure out what the hell's going on with this this swamp thing body uh, meanwhile uh, Floronic Man 
is uh well yeah abby comes back i, I almost skipped a scene here abby comes back and uh he sees she she thinks she sees matt uh like with some like devil crazy creature around him uh, he's got like the snake around him and this crazy devil lady and um basically he she thinks this is happening and then she opens the door and it's just matt sitting alone in a room so she's like oh i, I guess i just imagined that that weird thing happening uh but no some weird weird stuff is going on with matt we don't know what but it's it's weird there's demonic things happening with matt with matt with matt cable here um meanwhile abby comes back oh no sorry skip that uh, Floronic Man, back to Floronic Man, he is observing the Swamp Thing, and uh, like he says, he's saying that that Swamp Thing is one with the Swamp, and uh, now we see him sitting at his dinner table, taking a bite of these Swamp Thing, these these plants, that these vegetables that Swamp Thing has been growing off him, these yam-like tubers, he's called, and he's just taking a good bite, and he, as he thinks to himself, oh, just like I thought, perfectly edible. So Florog Man's just sitting here munching on Swamp Thing. Kind of weird. What do you think? What do you think of that scene? It, it really kind of adds another layer to the what? What are they if they're not this thing? And what I think this is trying to show us is Swamp Thing is really just a thing from the swamp. He is just you know foliage and muck and organic matter and that. We shouldn't look too far past that, especially knowing that there is really nothing left of Alec Holland in him. Or Alan Moore is telling us, I endorse cannibalism or something (laughs) Something like that. So we're back in Swamp Thing's dream world, and uh, these crazy creatures are like all eating this body. We assume it's Alec Holland's body. And uh, he says, uh, they're like, oh, where are you from? You're new in town. He's like, no, I come from I come from Alec Holland. And he's like, oh, they're like, oh, eat up. Come on, join us in this feast. And uh, he's like, well, but there's there's nothing left here. It's just a skeleton now. You guys ate everything. They're like, no, we left you the best part. We left you the humanity. <laughs> Alan Moore, man. Alan Moore is getting deep on us right here. Don't you see what I'm saying? The humanity's the best part. That's what makes him a creature. That what ma- that's what makes him a character that I'm writing. Okay. <laughs> it's, getting, it's getting more and more ridiculous every time. But that's what we do. Fuck it. Let's keep rolling with it. Just keep mo- Move on, lads. Move on with the show, lads. We do it live. <laughs> Fuck it. We do it live. Uh, we, we also learned that Floronic Man, uh, we go back to some of the narration from Floronic, Floronic Man, uh, and he wants, to f- he wants to feel and see what Swamp Thing does. He knows that Swamp Thing is being connected with the green, with the green and he's jealous. He wants to feel the same thing. Bouncing back to Dream World, uh, Swamp Thing's just batting away all these creatures. Um... And they're like, they're trying to take the body. He's like, no, it's mine. He takes it away. And now he's he's arguing with this skeleton head. <laughs> the skeleton head that's actually, well, it's not really him. It's Alec Holland's skeleton head. Uh, the skeleton head had a pretty funny line. He said, uh, they're, they're like running through the swamp. And the skeleton head's like, this is the human race. You have to keep running or you get disqualified. <laughs> I love that line. It's a classic Alan Moore line. And uh, then we go back to Floronic Man, and he is uh, using Swamp Thing as a medium to to merge with the plants. And he so he is now entering the green via Swamp Thing. And you you see he's starting to sense all these other plants. He's, he senses the redwoods, and he's like, wait a minute, there's no there's redwoods that aren't thousands of miles from here. Uh, he's sensing these plants in Australia. He's sensing uh, plants in the Amazon basin. So Floronic Man via Swamp Thing 
is merging with the green and he can't even handle it. He's like, he's being overwhelmed. He's just like, it's, it seems like he's actually losing his mind. Cause it's, it's just like, it's too much information. It's too much th- stuff coming into him. And, um, yeah, I, I think we should pause yeah. because I don't think we've actually spoken about what the green is. Yeah. We kind of get to that, but, um, yeah, I guess they never, well, they never really per se define the green. They just kind of talk about it. So uh, essentially, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll let you take a hack at the green. What do you think the green is? The, the green is basically so, you know, you've got different levels of mysticism within the world of the DC universe. And the green basically connects all plant life throughout existence. And it's not just everything that's currently alive. It's all plant life that has ever lived. And as you learn in some of the more recent Swamp Thing stories uh, with the New 52 and onward, it's all plant life that will ever live. So what it basically does is it implies that. Swamp Thing could potentially be immortal, and that adds a whole other layer of confusion to yeah, it. If it's so I think that's a good place immortal to swamp leave thing that. Coming next. That's the new thing. I think Immortal Hulk started this trend. It became Immortal Hulk, then Immortal She-Hulk, but now they're doing Immortal Wonder Woman. It's like, all right, is every book and every company going to start taking this Immortal title? But they could definitely do it with Swamp Thing. I could dig it. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Make everyone immortal. Makes sense. In reality, every comic book character is immortal anyway, so... Let's be honest. Alan Moore, what do you have to say about this? Everybody dies. Everybody dies. Okay. Everything dies. And nothing dies because we all live on in my writing and on the memories. All right. <laughs> my writing will never die. Uh, moving on <laughs> to Swamp Thing, Saga of the Swamp Thing, number 23. Uh, a great quote that I wrote down here. We're in, uh, we're in Swamp Thing's narration now. Uh, he said, the world eats your life, eats your friends, eats all the things that makes you human. And make you become a monster. I just like that one. Very, very Alan Moore type writing here, which makes sense since he wrote it. I, I wrote the damn thing. Of course, it's my type of writing. Um, <laughs> at some point, we're gonna have to stop this this this, this, this trend. Now I can't. It's, it's like a Jonathan Hickman book. I, I say I'm not gonna do it anymore, and I keep reading. I keep reading. Same thing with this. this now you have split personalities. Um, Swamp Thing. We know he is somewhere else now. He is fully in the green. He is at peace. He is happy. As far as we can tell, Swamp Thing. Has no no reason to do anything but to keep hanging out in the green here. But wait, he senses something is wrong. He senses something weird with the green. And uh, of course, the reader has probably figured out by now that something weird is Floronic Man's entrance into the green. Uh, these teenagers uh, are driving along, meanwhile, and uh, they drive up and they they some one of the teenagers says like, "Hey, I just saw this thing." It, we got to pull over. There's something weird's going on. I th- I'm pretty sure I just saw the Jolly Green Giant. Do you remember the Jolly G- Green Giant, Ramzo? Was that before your time? Was that like the guy on the broccoli yeah. bag? Uh, was it broccoli? Yeah, it was the Jolly Green Giant. He was uh, huh. yeah, he was a way to try to get kids to eat vegetables, basically. But okay, it didn't really work for me, frankly. <laughs> Neither did reading Swamp Thing make me want to eat vegetables anymore. But moving on, eat your, te- <laughs> eat your vegetables. Um, who who am I eating? <laughs> um, this is this is how you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth. 
so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greenpeace wins. Greenpeace wins. <laughs> of course it is. They hired me to write this story. All right. And uh, these teenagers, they run, this one runs out. He's like, I swear I saw the Jolly Green Giant. I mean, if I saw, thought I saw the Jolly Green Giant, I would not be running to check it out. I would be driving in the absolute opposite direction. But, you know, that's just me. He's foe, not friends. That's not like the Mr. Stay Puff yeah. man. <laughs> that's just me. But uh, this one teenager, he can't find uh, this Jolly Green Giant. So he runs back to the car and he finds all his friends are like all wrapped up in all this they're all wrapped up in all this vegetation now and the vegetation is like taking over the car uh it sucks this other teenager into the thing starts driving the car so floronic man is just you know going nuts with all his um his veggie powers etc etc uh let's see where were we here uh meanwhile uh who is woodrew oh yeah so swamp thing is uh he's kind of sensing what's going on in the green and he's he's kind of sensing like i, I feel something wrong here wood wood drew wood drew do i know him um meanwhile go back so he's kind of he's trying to figure out what's going on I, you know it's the term wood i think he's like oh it's wood i know wood he's like wait no wood drew who is this guy uh so abby is, is uh we go back to abby and she's thinking like like i know i'm not crazy i'm just i'm just frightened of my husband and, and my best friend turned into into some shrubbery no big deal so it's a kind of funny a line by her she's like like people think i'm crazy i know i'm acting crazy but no it's just that i'm scared to death of my husband and my, and my best friend just turned into shrubbery all right so this just leave me alone okay uh she is out in the swamp looking for that alec holland body and she finds these teenagers that were all wrapped up in the swamp uh she then uh gets sucked into the swamp as well she's attacked by the you know the the uh the vine-like tentacles of the floronic man and uh she is screaming and screaming and she doesn't know who else to call out for so she screams out alec and uh alec who's not really alec swamp thing hears this word uh in the green and swamp thing thinks to himself oh i i knew an alec was that woodrew calling me because he's still like he's in this state where he doesn't really know fully what's going on or even fully who he is he's kind of like really fully immersed in the green and has somewhat lost his his personality of who he was um so he says no wait no wait that's not woodrew wait no alec holland wait alec holland was me wait no no it wasn't so he's kind of like remembering it's almost like when he read these notes and and killed sunderland he was in some kind of like just weird rage or something he doesn't really fully remember it and he's now just what would you say like he's still in his clear state of mind or you still or do you still think he's trying to process no, at, at this point he's still trying to process things because he's he's just kind of fully merged with the green and isn't even really remembering he's like oh wait i am alec holland i'm not alec holland wait what's alec holland so he's 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 trying to figure it out but now at this point he is starting to remember the truth he was remembering the sunderland building building he's having a he's kind of flashing back to the more recent past of him waking up in that sunderland building reading the notes and he says oh yeah i was reading those notes that told me i wasn't alec holland Oh, the author's name. And he remembers the author's name, Woodrew. So now he's making the connection. Okay, whatever I'm sensing here in the green that's wrong, it's that same guy. It's the same guy that wrote this wrote this page. So I, I take it that Floronic Man, 
like you said, he was a Batman villain before. I guess he was never a Swamp Thing villain because Swamp Thing's acting like he had no idea who this guy was before, which is pretty interesting. But uh, an appropriate villain, I think, to bring into the Swamp Thing universe, obviously. Uh, meanwhile, Thoronic Man is going in. He's taking over this town. He showed up this town, and uh, he's using plants and vines from the green. He tells everybody, I, I, want, I want you guys to, I want someone to come out, make a video of me, and the rest of you just go inside your houses. And they're all like, all right, we're freaked out by this jolly green giant showing up here, so we'll do that. Uh, so uh, they all go inside their houses, and this little kid, Billy Anslinger, I don't know why we needed his name because he doesn't become relevant anyway. Uh, he comes out and he has a video camera, so he he lets uh, Floronic Man use this video. And I guess what he had done, uh, they, they show us this one guy lighting a cigarette in his house. And the guy lights a cigarette and his house just blows up. And now this whole town is on fire. Um, and we'll figure out why that is in a few minutes. Uh, so the town is burning and uh, Abby's running and screaming for Alec. And finally, the swamp thing fully emerges from the swamp. And uh, Alec is screaming or uh, Abby is screaming. Uh, and it's, it's a really awesome shot when Alec finally, I keep calling him Alec. That's not his name anymore. Uh, he's just swamp thing. When he emerges from the swamp, kind of deroots himself and has, has basically been brought out by Abby calling for Alec, which kind of started to rekindle his, his memories of what was really going on. And he emerges and um, he, she says, Alec? And he says, no, not Alec. <laughs> just walks away. And she's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll just follow him since uh, he's my only friend here and my husband's a psycho. So I'll just walk through the swamp with this, this swamp creature that says he's not Alec anymore. Um, but basically, a Floronic Man puts out the video of, uh, of him burning this town and everything. And uh, the video gets out and gets all the way up to the Justice League. Did I skip something? I might have skipped something. I don't know. Something seems out of order. Anyway, uh, Floronic Man is going nuts, getting revenge for all the plants killing by humans. And uh, the Swamp Thing basically emerges and confronts Woodrow. And he says, Woodrow, no more. Was that just the League thing in this part? I'm going to go back and find out. Eh, maybe I skipped something. Or maybe I added something. Anyway, whatever. Eventually, Justice League gonna see the, is going to see this video. <laughs> I actually really like... We can talk about it in a, in a minute when we really get to, to more of that action. But I really like how Alan Moore uses the Justice League in this. Because... He, oh, yeah, that's right. We don't see the Justice League here. It's just referenced that the video was sent to a local sheriff, local sheriff sent it to the government, and the government sent it to the Justice League. So we just hear the Justice League reference, and then it's at the beginning of this next issue, Saga of the Swamp Thing, number 24, where uh, we begin to see, we watch, it starts with the Justice League uh, watching the video of um, Floronic Man explaining his whole thing. So what he's going to do is he's going to get revenge for all the plants of the earth, all for every, all the plants that mankind has killed and, and plowed and cut down trees, all that stuff that's happened over the years. He's getting revenge on this. So what he's going to do, he's going to have all the plants increase their oxygen by 10%, which is going to, he says, it's going to kill uh, young people. It's going to kill old people. And any humans lucky enough to live through that oxygen change, they're all going to die because the, the atmosphere is going to become so uh, fl flammable that just in any strike of a match, any anything, is just going to burn everything to the ground. So Justice League's freaking out here, actually. And I like, I, like I said, I like how they use the Justice League here because in any other story here, when something major like this is happening, you know, you might have the Justice League come in, just swoop in and save the day. But instead, we just see the Justice League. We keep cutting back to them, and they're talking about all the reasons they can't intervene. Like, um, what's his name? What's the guy with the flaming, the flaming guy? I want to call him Firestar, but that, is that his name in DC? Firestorm. That's right. Who's Fire? Firestar is a Marvel guy. Uh, Firestorm says, "Oh, Floronic Man's never given us much trouble in the past." You're thinking of Sunfire. Sunfire is from Sunfire is Marvel. Firestorm yeah, is Firestorm DC. Firestorm is the guy that's you know 
murder. Yeah, two, two people, people in one. one, which is yeah. pretty weird. But anyway, uh, he says, like, well, yeah, we've taken the care of this guy. He's no problem normally, but he's controlling all the world's vegetation. And, um, you know, I, I can't just go and, like, burn him. That would, that, would, that would just, like, you know, fall into his plan. So that's not going to work out. And every time we cut back to the Justice League, they're just, like, they're basically just talking and figuring out that, like, they're kind of stuck here. They can't really intervene because uh, they just... Remember when, remember when like Avengers uh, Infinity War came out and you had a bunch of people debating online like maybe Thanos had some good points. <laughs> Could you imagine AOC oh reading this like they should stay the way out of the Floronic man's you way. Would see, <laughs> what he's doing is right. If this came out today and it was in popular culture, you would definitely <laughs> see so many articles that were like Floronic Man may have been a villain, but did he have a point? Or like Floronic Man may have been harsh, but he had a good point. Or why Floronic Man is the actually battle, right? But he won. Or why Floronic Man is <laughs> he lost here. the yeah. battle? He lost the battle, but he won the argument. <laughs> yeah, that's it's exactly like, what I'll say. What? <laughs> if millions of people have to die for you to win your argument, it's probably not yeah, worth it. If you have it. to kill millions of innocent people or creatures to uh, you know to prove your point. Then your point sucks. That's all. Oh, I have I have yeah. a question. Does this also count all the animals? Because Swamp Thing is also a friend you of know the what? animals. I actually wrote down what about the animals? Question mark. So we are <laughs> we are on the same way. Like, cause yeah, that's a good point. He doesn't mention the animals. He's killing Bambi. He doesn't mention the animals, but shit, Bambi didn't do anything to the. You know, she just ate some plants for for breakfast or whatever she had to. But you know, yeah, this is more than. Well, we'll get to this because uh, I I like how Swamp Thing quote unquote ends up defeating Floronic Man here in a bit, but um. Basically, uh, Woodrow um, offers this like woman. He he he's when he Woodrow sees Swamp Thing showed up. He's like freaking out. He's like hero worshiping. He's like, oh sweet, Swamp Thing's here. This is great. Come part, come participate. We're gonna we're gonna use the plants. We're gonna fix all the injustices, destroy humanity. This is awesome. I'm so glad you're here, Swamp Thing. And uh, Swamp Thing even offers this like woman that he's holding hostage as like basically as like a tribute. He's like, ah, kill this chick. He just totally thinks Swamp Thing is there. And to be on his side, um, and. Uh, <laughs> Swamp Thing's like, no. And he just like bats Woodrow away. He's like, nope, that's not what I'm doing. Uh, so then Woodrow starts to use the plants to assault, assault Swamp Thing. He basically like, sl- like just throws like a javelin. Assault, assault on, on Swamp, Swamp Thing. Thing. He assault on Swamp Thing. Man, it's getting worse and worse. I think I have to actually retire this hour more now. Uh, yeah, he, he assaults him with this like, he uses like a tree trunk that was turned into like a giant scythe and just like goes through Swamp, Swamp Thing's body. But as we have learned, and as we now know, this shit doesn't matter because these aren't real organs that he's that, that's injuring Swamp Thing. You know, he has these fake organs, or maybe he doesn't even have them anymore now that he's given up on that whole thing. Uh, then we do cut back uh, to the Justice League again, pondering how to, how to defeat like the plants of the Earth because they they said this isn't even Floronic Man controlling the the plants. This is the plants controlling Floronic Man. This is like the green or like part of the Earth that's trying to get back at at humanity, and they're using Floronic Man. They're like, how can we? What are you going to do here? Like Flash is like, what? What, what am I going to do? Run really fast? Like they yeah. go through like all their powers, and every conclusion is like, shit, we can't do anything. So I really like how they keep cutting back, but like. Making them but, seem kind of helpless in the situation. Yeah. I'm the I'm the guy who watched Avatar and took the big evil corporation <laughs> side. So like, part of me is like, that, that this is where like we don't need Batman. If I do someday, <laughs> we we don't need Batman. We need Bruce Wayne to develop the rainforest. <laughs> <laughs> we just need plants. We just need seeds. Uh, so back to uh, back to the battle here. Uh, Woodrow sees Abby there because she's been tagging along with Swamp Thing, recognizes her from the swamp. Uh, meanwhile, this 
this old black man earlier, he had said like, oh, uh, I'll be right back. I know what to do. I got to get Evangeline. And then like we didn't see him for a minute. And then he comes back in this scene and he shows up with Evangeline. This reminded me of Negan. I forget what Negan called his his baseball bat. Uh, it was something like that. Uh, but he he brings back a chainsaw. He's like, no, I want you to meet Angeline. I just love this moment. This would be, <laughs> kind of reminds me of like Harry from uh, from the Ghost Rider uh, story that we just read. Yeah, he's your oh, local yeah. guy who doesn't care what kind of crazy powers this thing has. He's going to get his hardware and he's going to fuck shit up. So he goes after um, uh, Floronic Man and cuts his arm off. And um, yeah, I didn't really do anything, though. <laughs> he actually... Um, Lucille, Lucille, that was Negan's bat. bat. Yeah. Reminded Lucille, me of Lucille. Yeah. Maybe Lucille was inspired by Evangeline. Uh, but yeah, it didn't work out. Uh, Floronic Man just kills that guy. So, so it wasn't really wasn't really uh, that much of a heroic moment after all. But he did his best. He tried. And um, basically, um, Floronic Man has, like, cannot be defeated, really, by conventional means. Like he Just like Swamp Thing, like he can kind of put his arm right back on. Um, and But Swamp Thing says, like... Uh, he, and he realized like it actually hurts like his arm actually hurts and he's like and Floronic Man tells him like why do you keep coming back why do you keep coming back and hurting me like we're all we're on the same team here we're both plant creatures and then Swamp Thing says because you and and the way they type out the you know the um the dialogue here is really you can tell that Swamp Thing is speaking like dramatically and slowly he says because you Oh, the yeah. typeface really, really implies it. it yeah. There's always all, a lot of dots, a lot of spacing between the words. He just says, because you are hurting the green. And then you see Floronic Man. He's like, me? I'm like, wait, what? I'm, hurt, I'm hurting the green? What are, you, what are you talking about? It's something, but he has this revelation. He's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit, you're right. And Swamp Thing explains, like, you're hurting the green. You're poisoning the green with all this madness. And he says, "What? okay, here's what you're going to do. You want to kill all humanity, burn everything down. You do that. What's going to change this oxygen back to the chemicals that we that we plants need to survive when the humans are dead? Uh, and Floronic uh, Man basically says, "Oh shit, I never thought of that." <laughs> Good point, Swamp Thing. Uh, so that that moment just basically that moment basically defeats Floronic Man because he realizes, like, "Oh my god!" And the green. The green that was, I guess, like speaking through Floronic Man in a way, it's kind of unclear because it was it was mixed up. Like Floronic Man brought his insanity to the green while the green was actually using Floronic Man in a way, too. So it's not con- clear who's controlling who entirely. Was it the Floronic Man controlling the green? Is it the green controlling Floronic Man? But the green, upon sensing this revelation within Floronic Man, the green actually recedes and um, he can he can he's basically receding from Floronic Man. Um. So Swamp Thing then explains uh, to Abby that Alec Holland. Uh, this is uh, so Thronic Man goes away. He's done. He's like, yeah, I can't do this, and he just kind of walks away. He's like, yeah, you're right, Swamp Thing. I think he's the only. I think this is the only time in comics where the hero defeated the villain by having a strong argument. Didn't something? I don't know if it was the exact same thing. It was kind. I feel like. Um, oh man, Doomsday Clock was that kind of similar with with Superman? How he dealt with um, with Doctor Manhattan? It was sort of similar, wasn't it? Kind of sort of. Kind of sort of, but like. This is this is a bit more like oh man you yeah. are right I shouldn't kill yeah, all this the, is the people. villain just literally realizing like oh I really fucked up I was totally wrong I'm a total idiot sorry about that um, uh, <laughs> then we see a conversation between uh, Abby and Swamp Thing and Abby's like wait so he's an Alec uh, or Swamp Thing explains no Alec Holland is dead he died like you didn't even know him <laughs> and so Abby's like so who are you. And he says, well, I am the Swamp Thing. <laughs> and she's like, are you happy? Are you happy? And he says, yes. So it's very sweet of her. 
It's very sweet of her to find out this guy. The thing is, she was never actually, she didn't actually know Alec Holland. Uh, she didn't, she, it, was, it actually was this Swamp Thing creature that she got to know in real life. So basically all she's learning is his different name, really. So I don't think that should be that big a deal for her. And she's really, she's so sweet. She says, are you happy? And Swamp Thing says, yes. Yes, I am happy. So Swamp Thing <laughs> returns to the swamp. Uh, we then see Woodrow running away. I guess, I guess Swamp Thing wasn't concerned about following him or anything. He just took off into the swamp. Uh, he's trying to repair himself. Uh, he's like, using that spray, and he's he's all fucked up. Like by the time the Justice League emerges and come back, and, and they find him, like he just looks so he looks like such a freak. Like his face is melting off. He looks like half a human. He's holding his arm. He's got this robe on. Like he is an absolute mess. And then when the Justice League shows up, um, you know they're, they're actually like really sympathetic. Like oh man, this guy's a fucking disaster right now. And it's actually, this is one of my favorite Superman moments ever right here. And it's in a freaking Swamp Thing book by Alan Moore. Swamp Thing, uh, um, and they're even saying like Arkham. They're like, yeah, we got to take him to Arkham, whatever. Uh, but uh, uh, Superman puts his his cape over Woodrow, over this guy who's just like, just looks like shit. I mean, he is like physically awful. He's lost his freaking mind. He's got like plants growing out of his head, this fake melting skin. He's a, he's a total disaster. And Superman puts his cape over him and helps him walk away. I thought that was just, that was such a Superman thing to do. You know, what'd you think of that little tiny Superman moment in, in this story? That That is why I love Superman, and that's why Superman will always be around. Because if some of us had it our way, I could see like in a Zack Snyder version of the story, Superman just bur- just burning him to ashes with his lasers. But in this situation, we see an authentic Superman that sees a man who's obviously broken and down, and he shows him mercy. And that is, I think that's what kind of connects the whole thing, because, you know, uh, Woodrow's full argument was, you know, mankind doesn't deserve mercy. Mankind must be eradicated. And even though Swamp Thing realizes he's not really a human and never was, what it shows is that mercy is a universal language. So to have Superman, who has always been uh, a a savior type figure, to have him show mercy to somebody who, who is really not a threat at this point, that I think even though Superman was not a big part of the story, Superman really helps close it in the best way possible. What do you think of the use of the Justice League overall here? I, I, I personally love the way that Alan Moore used the Justice League. I remember the first time I, I read this series, uh, on the Justice League is on the cover of that issue, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is when the Justice League comes, and they team up with Swamp Thing, and they intervene, and blah, 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 and none of that happened. It's just basically them. Uh, what is the Justice League satellite place called where they hang out? The Watchtower. Oh, Watchtower, of course. See, this is why yep. you're here, for the things that I forget. Uh, it's just them Little hanging things. out in the Watchtower, going back and forth about why they can't do anything, and they only finally come come down and show up when Floronic Man has given up, and they just they just basically swoop in and and nice, quite nicely of them, uh, just you know, take him away to Arkham, where things probably. What, what I will say too. is that he he breaks the predictable pattern of a lot of comics and. The 80s is not really when, well, well, I'll say like the early 80s is not really a great time for DC. The 70s is not a great time for DC. But what I love about like this uh, 84 period onward, like post-crisis, you get to see them break the monotony of story that we're typically set up to assume we think is we know what's going to happen. So for that, I mean, I don't think I appreciated it when I was younger when I picked it up, but definitely when I picked it up a few years ago, I was like, yeah, good job. I like that. 
Yeah, that's something Alan Moore is uh, pretty good with overall. Is like breaking up the story. You know, like in the last issue where we kind of kept bouncing between Swamp Thing's dream sequence and then uh, Abby and Matt, you know, talking to the Pharaonic Man and figuring out what's going on there. He does a good job of you know, you never get you like I said, it it can feel like a chore going into an Alan Moore type book or a Neil Gaiman book because there's going to be a lot of words, it's going to be a lot of actual writing. uh, But I, I think that once you start reading them. They do. They both do a good job of really keeping you engaged, and 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 uh, Alan Moore does that by by kind of bouncing between different scenes, uh, you know, back and forth, te- which and always moving the story along. It's not like he's bouncing out to a B story or a C story. It's the same story. It's just a different, you know, from a different character's point of view, and uh, you know, it, everything moves things along. Nothing is for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on to Saga of the Swamp Thing number twenty four. Now this was. Uh, at 25, I'm sorry. That was last issue was 24. This is uh, an, another story arc. This is just the last three issues of this particular trade paperback. So we'll cover this one uh, fairly briefly. The, the main story was really of this big arc of really Alan Moore's run is this retelling of the origin of Swamp Thing through his battle with Floronic Man, which uh, actually, why don't we stop here? Not stop, but I, I just want to get your take on this overall arc. We'll obviously do our full, our full grade at the end, but what do you think of this, the overall, this retelling of the origin of Swamp Thing and how they worked it through uh, through the character of the Floronic Man? I, I know that's multiple artists between the different story arcs, but I mean, I think he worked well with both of them. Do, do you know their names? It's, uh, Dennis Day was, and then uh, Steph, Stephen Bissett took over. Bissett took over. Dennis Day did Justice League at one point, too. I, I might be wrong with that, but he's always been really good. I thought he was always better for the horror genre. Um, and, I mean, what I, what I really like about it is he he's succinct. And for a, a book that has a lot of dialogue in it, typically, a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of monologues and, you know, uh, that that type of stuff. Like you, you usually kind of get lost in it, but it's very it's very linear when you actually begin to really look at what's going on in the story. And I think the artwork, folks, you got to take a look at this. Uh, it, it feels like a a B rated horror movie, but done with really compelling storytelling. And I think it's often underrated. And I think I, I'd say this for the whole medium of comic books in general. Because it's a comic book, people will never give it the credit it really deserves. But for him to put this much effort into one of the most B-less, C-less characters ever, it's why Swamp Thing is so popular. And I think even with this TV show, which you know has gone from CW to I'm sorry, from DC Universe to CW, they might be picking up for a second season. I think Swamp Thing's gonna be more popular because of that. Because now we've taken it more seriously. I think putting him in the genre of video games and animation and film is really gonna show people he's not just another monster is that available then currently on dc universe or not on DC, it is you, dc universe that, that's not what i meant to ask though on on, on uh, hbo max it's not hbo max but it's on cw so if you have if you have like a the on-demand function on your cable you can watch it or you can go cw.com and i think watch the first season all right i've been intrigued to watch it but i haven't seen any of it that's how i am with tv shows i i hardly ever watch anything and then, but when I do, I'm going to, I'm going to go all the way in. That's why I'm hesitant to watch something unless I'm, unless I've got the 12 hours to like dive into a whole series. Oh, oh like, that's what I'm I do. All in or all that's out. what I do. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I do for Doom Patrol and basically everything at this point. If I can't binge the whole thing, start to finish, I'm not going to watch it. Exactly. Exactly. So when I get the 12 hours or so, maybe I'll check out something. Uh, moving on though, this next arc will kind of try to bounce through it a little quickly, but, um, 
basically we see this guy uh, and he's kind of a creepy guy. He's telling, he's, it's very Twilight Zone-esque, actually. Uh, this guy meets up with this guy who's a, named Harry Price. He's a loft insulator. And uh, this guy knows about a lot of things. He's like, oh, yeah, he, I know about your car, drunken car crash that put your wife in a wheelchair. And I know about your five different girlfriends. Oh, and I, I also know that at 532 uh, this evening, you're going to be impaled by a swordfish. And the guy's like, oh, oh okay, well, uh. See you later, man. Uh, and then the same guy goes into this uh, this kind of like weird magic shop. He's looking for a Ouija board. He's asking a bunch of questions. Um, blah blah blah. And uh, so we don't. If you if you're familiar with the character, you probably do know who he is by by now. Uh, but we don't. The reader does not necessarily know who this is yet. Um, then uh, meanwhile, Swamp Thing is swimming and playing with Abigail uh, in the swamp. Who Abigail, who clearly gives no fucks about um, Matt Cable, who is at home just you know being creepy and sitting in a chair. She is out flirtatiously playing with Swamp Thing in the swamp. And man, it's gotta it's gotta suck to be Matt Cable. Not only do you have these weird demons possessing you, you're sitting around just drinking all day, but uh, your gorgeous uh, wife is out there uh, flirting, flirting around in the swamp with this creature who not only isn't human, was never human. He's literally she's, she's with a vegetable. I mean, that's gotta be tough. Could, could you imagine what the conversations are like when she comes back and he's like, what did you do today? Nothing. <laughs> what What do you have with you? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a basket full of yams have you been eating his yams yams long (laughs) do you like his yams why aren't my yams for anything for you abigail what you have a problem with my yams yams are fucking delicious now god it's it's getting worse and worse every time i feel like i had it down in the beginning and that's just completely devolved I'm sorry, Alan Moore. I'll never try to impress you again. Do impressions of you again. Uh, we- He's gonna leave us a one-star review on iTunes. <laughs> this fucking that, sucks. I would be absolutely honored <laughs> if Alan Moore. Let's not even joke about this because then fans will jokingly give us these one-star reviews as Alan Moore. We don't want to joke one-star review because <laughs> Apple doesn't know it's a joke. They actually think it's a real one-star review. So don't leave us a joke five-star review. <laughs> That's what you should do. I don't care if it's real or fake. If it's five stars, I'm happy. Alan Moore, show proof of life. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, we find out Abby got a job at this place, Elysium Lawns, a center for autistic children. She meets this kid, uh, Paul, who is obsessed with spelling, and he spells his name. He's like, Abby. Oh, no. Go. I just got to point out, yeah. nothing good ever happens with Alan Moore and children. No, no. I think that's, I think that's safe to say. Paul is a, an interesting kid. Yeah, he's really obsessed with spelling. He says, you got to spell things right. He's really emphasizing this point uh, or bad things happen. And you see some pictures of, yeah, he's, in his pictures, it says spelling is very important. It's very important to spell the right way. If you do not spell well, nobody has a job for you. Also, the monkey king will come and that's it and you're dead forever. And there's a picture of him being <laughs> mauled by this monkey king, by this like big white monkey thing. So uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's hilarious to us, but you know, probably scary to Abigail seeing this stuff. Um, yeah, I got to read the third comic. It says, uh, in my spelling group, Jesus started spelling something out wrong and Paul bit him. So that would stop. He is lucky if I had not done it, he would be murdered. So I guess this Paul is a trouble kid. You know, he, he, he's biting, he's going around biting kids who aren't spelling things right because, you know, he wants to stop them because he thinks that they're going to get murdered by the monkey king. If he this doesn't. is a hardcore class. This is, really hard. this is a serious class. Yeah. I love the cartoon. Cause he even, he even drew other kids being shocked at him biting the kid in his own cartoon, <laughs> which I thought was, was quite funny. Um, meanwhile, Swamp Thing is, uh, let's see, he's soaking it in, he's loving the swamp, but he feels that something evil is a myth, he feels something dark going on. 
Uh, so we go back to this guy, this creepy devil guy, and uh, he's now at this auction uh, trying to get this this Ouija board. And he's talking to this other dude there, and he's like, "Oh, uh, by the way, um, I know some things about you too. Uh, next summer, you're going to be in jail for manslaughter because you know your wife Selena. She didn't like those lawn chairs that you got. So anyway, have a good day." And he's like, "Wait, well, well this guy just likes to drop this this stuff on people and, and waltz off." Um, he's just like, "Wait a minute, how did you know my wife was named Selena? What what's going on here?" So this guy's freaked out now too. I have a confession. Yeah. In 2019, I went to Tyson's Corner Mall, and I, after a few uh, bottles of wine on Black Friday night, I went with a couple friends there, and I told them, "Hey, I'm gonna go around and tell and just randomly tell people their future and walk away." So I would go <laughs> over to people and be like, "He's cheating on you," and walk <laughs> away, or "She never loved you," and just walk away. That is amazing. And creepy, and the kind of thing I would picture a childhood Alan Moore doing. So I'm not sure what that says about you. I did this as an adult. That's even creepier. But hilarious. <laughs> I'm freaked out by it, but I also respect it. So let's put it that way. It's uh, uh, yeah. What were some of the reactions you got? Did anyone ever like, to run away? or? <laughs> I was pretty blitzed. Okay. So you don't even know. All right. Well, maybe someday. Maybe if we get According to-, to my friends that drove me there, I, I came back in one piece. That's Maybe what at matters. a certain Patreon level, we'll go out and recreate that that moment as, <laughs> as even more adult podcasters here, if you can call us that at this point. Um, anyway, meanwhile, we go back to uh, Matt and Abby, and uh, Matt is just a piece of shit. Matt just lays her in bed all day while Abby is going off to work. He's not even like excited she has this job. She's in this like dress, looking all you know beautiful and everything, and he's just like laying there. He's like, yeah, whatever. Um, he's like, you're, you're getting a lot more excited about those seeing those kids than you have about me lately and he's like oh okay cool like first day of the job man jeez fuck matt and then um she leaves and matt says stand up there and he creates this like i don't know he we it's unclear if it's really happening i think we think it's all in his head but uh, you know these other clothes that abby had he like transforms these clothes into this like this demon creature of some kind and he says get on your knees and apologize so he's basically like has these demon creatures that we see in him and he's basically like fantasizing about you know telling his wife that she's a bitch basically and she needs to apologize to him so that's what's going on with matt he's having crazy fantasies and, and things are weird with him uh meanwhile we learn basically we see what happened to paul and why he is obsessed with spelling we see his parents um and and malin moore it takes a second to realize what's a flashback sometimes alan moore doesn't necessarily say oh six months ago you know you just kind of kind of figure things out as you go Al- alan moore i like that even though he gets very wordy in his writing and he, he really does a lot of explanation, he also doesn't spell things out for you when they don't need to be. He doesn't treat you like you're stupid. He lets you figure things out. And this is from someone who says a lot of stuff in his writing, but, but he doesn't waste his words and he doesn't waste his pictures. He uses words effectively. He uses words intentionally and he doesn't like he, he, uses words to paint the story and to show the reader what they, and to explain everything to the reader that they need to explain, that needs to be explained to them. But he also lets the reader figure things out on their own as well, which is, I think, I think that's a a pretty amazing skill to have as a writer. And Alan Moore is is probably the best at doing this. Um, But we learned that Paul's parents were using a Ouija board and somehow when they were using the Ouija board, uh, they, they spelled Camara K-A-M-R-A. And he's like, oh, is it trying to spell camera? And so basically they spelled camera wrong or the creature spelled camera wrong. And that's that's where Paul's obsession with spelling things right comes from. Because right after that, this creature emerges um, and murders them and murders his parents. This is the Monkey King. This white, scary, like 
freaky creature. You know who this reminds me of? You read the Immortal Hulk run. This reminds me of uh, that Zinmu creature. You know who I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. Monkey, that's who Monkey King looks like to me. Um, but actually scarier. A lot scarier. Um, the DC universe is a fucked up there's place. Some, there's some crazy... I mean, this is a perfect playground for Alan Moore. All the like obscure, obscure little characters. Like Etrigan is a perfect character for Alan Moore. Spoiler alert. That's who the creepy guy that we've been seeing walk around is. Jason Blood. Uh, but... Um, yeah, so this kid, uh, and right after the Monkey King murders his parents, the Monkey King goes up to Paul's room and snuggles with him and spends the night with him. And that's really creepy, and Paul's freaked out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought that was really, really, really weird that he didn't, he doesn't go up and kill Paul. He just, he snuggles to him. But we'll find out, we'll find out more about their connection in a little bit. Alan Moore stories are not safe no. for women or children. <laughs> Speaking of not safe, one of the, uh, lines that Alan Moore uses here. This is just like one of those lines that's so simple, but it's so effective and so descriptive. He said when he's Paul is listening to his parents being eaten by the the Monkey King. He says it sounds like someone eating lettuce. I mean, if that doesn't give you a vivid description of what he's hearing, like I don't know what does. Like, could you imagine what he was on as he was <laughs> writing this? Oh boy, I'm guessing meth. A lot of things. A lot of things. Meth Santa strikes. I have never been freaked out by someone eating lettuce before, but now I don't think I can picture anyone eating lettuce without thinking of the Monkey King mauling away at Paul's parents here. (laughs) Um, Anyway, back to Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah, we actually see an argument here with uh, this guy and his wife that, that were, like, picking up the chairs. They were arguing about the chairs. Uh, it's the same guy that um, that now Jason will find out. This is Jason Blood in the um, in that shop. And, uh, yeah, they're having a whole argument, and they bought this this big something that, that's going on top of his car. So he drives off. We'll find out more about that in a second. Back to Swamp Thing. Uh, swamp Thing is just, you know, he's living it up in the swamp, enjoying being a Swamp Thing. And uh, but he notices something growing longer. Something something is wrong. Uh, yeah, Swamp Thing always has a sense of what's happening. Meanwhile, uh, back to this this uh, back to well, who we will learn is Jason Blood. He is doing some kind of like ritual type thing. He's using the Ouija board, um, and it seems that he is doing something with this this demon named Chimera. I guess that's the name of the demon. So they were they had yeah you know, they had accidentally summoned this demon by using the Ouija board. Uh, meanwhile, Abby meets this Harry Price guy who uh, immediately tries to bang her. He's like, he's like, oh hey, uh, my name's Harry Price. Meanwhile, this guy, we know this guy's wife is in a wheelchair. What a piece of shit! Uh, but he says, hey, uh, you're new in town. Maybe uh, both of us could use a little company in this strange town. What a freaking creep! Anyway, no big deal. Don't worry about him. Because moments later, uh, the, this dude who was arguing with his wife, they get into a car accident, and this thing they had on the top of the car, it flies off. And impales Harry Price, Harry Price, as predicted earlier by Jason Blood, impaled by a swordfish at 5.32 p.m. So he should have listened to him. Didn't take it too seriously. Um, and then this this dude waltzes up here, and um, he's like, hey, Mrs. Cable, do you mind if I walk with you for a while? I have some things to discuss with you. And she's like, oh, we do? Uh, okay. I just saw this guy get murdered, but uh, sure. Who the hell are you? And she's like, who the hell am I? Like nothing and happens. And he just laughs and laughs and laughs at her. He thinks it's hilarious that she doesn't know who he is. And we see his big beady eyes, and he just says, forgive me, forgive me, Mrs. Cable. My name is Blood. Jason Blood. Uh, did you know who Jason Blood was before? Did you know who this was while you were reading it? Yes, okay, yeah. I I am a hardcore Etrigan oh, okay. fan. So you were you were excited to see this, I, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's see. Do, 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 do. 
Uh, yeah, Etrigan and John Constantine, other than maybe Batman, might be my favorite DC characters. Well, John Constantine is a yeah, Hellblazer is a character that we will see quite a bit. Uh, not in this story, but if I do a Claire continues with Swamp Thing, which I, I likely will do after I get through through a few of the other books I'm looking at, uh, we do see a lot of a lot of John Constantine in this book. He he was he was introduced through Swamp Thing actually. Oh, well, there you go. This might this, yeah. is this his introduction later in the series. Probably. Yeah, actually, yeah, he first appeared in Swamp Thing. All right, well. And then after that, he spins off into Hellblazer. Right, right. All right, well, look forward to that, friends. He's coming, but not right now. Uh, First... Yeah, that's actually, I just I just came upon the part. I said, Remzo, did you know who Jason Blood, Blood was? So sometimes I Do know I something know before Jason I read them. That is. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Monkey King is in Elysium Lawns and he is creeping around. He comes uh, upon upon Paul and, uh, you know, he wants to be friends. He wants to be Paul's best friend. So he crawls into bed with Paul and, uh, yeah, they're buddies, except Paul is kind of freaked out now. Uh, meanwhile, the Monkey King is starting to creep around. Uh, Elysium Lawns, and he says, there are many children, but the night is long. End, end of issue. <laughs> so now the Monkey King, this creature, is just creeping around. This creature, Chimera, I guess, is creeping around, hunting children in this uh, in this autistic center. So not fun for the children, but we'll be moving on to Saga of the Swamp Thing, number 26. Uh, swamp Swamp Thing and Abigail are, are just running around the swamp, because that's what they do. They're happy, happy BFFs here. Totally not a couple. Not at all. Just holding hands, waltzing through the swamp. No big deal. Nothing to worry about, Matt. Uh, but, but, uh, Jason blood, then we cut over to Jason blood. This is actually, so this is what Alan Moore does with time. Uh, Abby and swamp thing running is, is later. And then we cut back. We're now flashing back sort of to her, to her conversation with Jason blood. So we jumped forward in time from the last issue. And now we're, we're seeing her talk with Jason blood. And I said, I gotta say again, I like that Alan Moore doesn't say earlier. He just kind of melds it in. You know, he just melds in them running in the swamp right into his conversation with Jason Blood. If you've been following things, you realize, oh, this is earlier. You don't need, you don't even need the stupid dialogue blocks that says, that says two hours earlier. You don't need that because Alan Moore doesn't think you're stupid. And I like that. And that's for someone who goes out of his way to really be very descriptive in his writing, but he doesn't put in words that you don't need. I don't need the word that says this was two hours ago. So I, lo- I just love little things like that about Alan Moore. He's he's able to seamlessly put things. I, I will I will add this, despite all the all the negative things I might usually say about Alan Moore, he he really wrote he really wanted to write comics because he saw it as a way of entertaining people who were like him growing up, primarily young people who were poor. And in in many interviews, he's like, this might be some of the only quality entertainment that the working class people can get. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it very well. That's why in a recent interview he did, uh, he said that he doesn't like the way that comic books have become kind of like a middle class collectible commodity because because of the the increase in pricing and everything. It's become an extremely expensive hobby, which I I don't like the use of like classist terms and stuff like that. I don't want to get political or anything, but like, I, I totally agree. It used to be something that was fun and affordable. Now I feel like I have to go ahead and give up a spleen to buy a, a new Marvel comic or something. Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I would make like 20 bucks a week mowing lawns basically. And I would take that $20 and I would go to the comic book store and I would buy a ton of comics. Like every week I'd buy eight, nine, 10 comics with that 20 bucks. Uh, I couldn't, you could not do that today. You'd be lucky if you got a couple books uh, for, for 20 bucks today. That, that's like that's like um, that's like four comics. If you're lucky, if the taxes aren't included. Yeah. Someday we'll do a breakdown of uh, 
of all of this, of all the, of the. Oh, I, I can I can do a quick plug for the recent Remso oh, yeah, rants. I did I did part one and two of the new uh, DC Future State catalog. Future State's DC's big event that's going on from January until February, and oh my god, those are expensive fucking comics. Like what? Some of them are like five ninety nine, huh? So they went up to eight. Oh my god! Oh come on! That's I hope they're like and, and ninety two pages. Uh, I think the most you're getting is 64, which 64 is fine. But then what they do is they 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 upcharge if you want a cardstock variant, which it's like, of course, I want the cardstock variant. Like, I almost wish they would come out with just that so that I wouldn't have to choose between the regular one knowing I could spend a dollar more and get the cardstock. My one. friends. So like I, <laughs> this, yeah, it's this bad. is a reason bad. to support us on Patreon.com slash Second Print Pod. So Remzo can afford to go buy all these future slate books and review them for you. I'm not going to I don't think I'm going to buy any of these. I'm just going to listen to what you say. If if there's one that you read and it turns out amazing maybe i'll go back and check it out i i gave my recommendation because originally i was just gonna tell my comic book store put everything on my pull list by the end of it i only narrowed it down to a handful okay well i've narrowed it down to i have no interest in any of this thing because i don't care because it's all gonna like not matter two months later so these are just a bunch of elseworld stories and if i hear that one happened to be good maybe i'll go check it out afterwards but i don't I don't care. I, none of this excites I hear me. You. I gotta be honest. None of it excites I will, me. I will take the slings and arrows so that way you guys don't have to waste your Excellent. money. That's why you're here. To get to dish some knowledge and to take the hits. And then I and I am here to take all of the Jonathan Hickman and absorb it all into my body so you don't have to. Passion of the Claire. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's see. Moving along. Uh, now all these kids in, in Elysium Lawns are drawing pictures of the fucking Monkey King. And it's, it's getting really creepy. Um... <laughs> I skipped. So- I, I, I skipped something. I skipped Jason Blood. It just sounds so wrong. Yeah, I mean they're all having visions of the Monkey King. It's getting weird. Uh, but before that, Blood was uh, talking. Jason Blood was talking to uh, Abby, and uh, he knows that she's an arcane, and uh, he said he knows about Paul. So like he knows about the kid with the Monkey King. So he knows everything. Um, so that and that's why he's talking to Abigail because he knows that she works there and blah 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 blah. blah. Uh, so uh, yeah, like I said, all the kids are now drawing pictures of the, of the Monkey King. Uh, Matt is pissed off because of course he is because he's psycho and he's possessed by demons and he's pissed off that Abby is going back to Elysium Lawns that night. Um, and and I just wrote down weird weird shit is going on with Matt Cable. <laughs> that's what that's what I basically write everywhere. Um, Monkey King is back and we find out that he feeds on fear. He's feeding on fear, so he takes takes. That's meta. King takes a little <laughs> takes a little stroll uh, with Paul, and um, he explains. Um, Jason Blood explains that uh, whatever you're scared of, that's what it looks like. This reminded me of Harry Potter. I forget the name of the thing, but there's there's one of the Harry Potters where uh, they're all practicing their magic, and there's this creature that each of them they go up to, uh, they have to do the ridiculous spell to make it look hilarious, and then it loses oh, its power. Yeah. But the first thing it looks like is always something they're really scared of. And for Harry, it was just like this dementor. So for all these kids, it's like you know, it appears as, as whatever they might be afraid of. Like for one kid, it appears as like he his parents had cancer, and what he thinks cancer is, it appears as that this big like scary looking red thing above his head. So these kids are not having a good time they're all they're all having these nightmares of of all of their fears and, and that sort of thing um so finally uh, so abby goes to get you know swamp thing because who else is going to go to in this situation not her freaking husband that's for sure and uh, they go to confront this creature at elysium when lo and behold etrigan shows up no longer as jason blood but as the demon etrigan which uh i really love there's this one splash page where where etrigan uh is like dives into the dives into the um the place there into elysium lawns and it just looks badass that's what i wrote i look i I wrote etrigan jumping into the room is badass he says open your necks the breath of etrigan 
if they put Etrican in a live action film, he would be the most popular. Oh, especially with the rhyming, culture. the constant rhyming. Exactly. He is. He is so. I am. I. I get mad how underrated he is. I'll put it that. Yeah, way. Before he dives in, Etrigan says, "Innocence. Why to hear the tales they tell? You'd think there was no guilty child in hell." I. Lo- I just love his like the the rhymes of Etrigan, especially how Alan Moore writes them. They're cheesy, but not. I don't know. They're cheesy and effective. They're they're intentionally cheesy, but they they work. They're well they done. They all make sense. He's not just rhyming to rhyme. He's rhyming because he knows Etrigan rhymes and makes sure that the things he's saying within the rhymes actually make sense for the story. A lot of times, I feel like you see Etrigan and he's just like limsy doomsy doomsy. He's just like singing and rhyming for no reason you know, because he's because every writer knows. Oh, he's supposed to rhyme. I'll write a rhyme. No, Alan Moore. Every he puts thought into in every freaking word he writes, and all of Etrigan's rhymes actually are they're just lines of dialogue that would make sense if they weren't rhyming. That's what I like about it, where a lot of times you read Etrigan and it wouldn't make sense if it wasn't rhyming. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't want to take up too much time because I know we want to finish this up, but there, you want do you know the reason why he rhymes? I don't. I'd love to know. So Jack Kirby, being the king of everything he is, he did research into like medieval folklore for like demons and stuff like that. And in medieval Europe, and you see this in the Scandinavian countries, ghosts, evil spirits, demons, you can tell who they are because they only speak in rhymes. Ah, okay. I like it. I never knew that. Uh, but yeah, that does pretty much... Oh, actually, no, that's not true. This actually ends the last thing in this uh, issue. Matt Cable, he's all pissed off and being crazy because he's Matt Cable. He's mad that uh, that, uh, that uh, Abby went out, takes a big swig of whiskey, grabs his car keys, gets in the car, and look, this is a lesson, folks. What happens when you're all pissed off? You dr- drink a bunch of alcohol and get in the car. He crashes his car. Matt Cable has completely wrecked his car as we end this issue. Um, sadly, that's not the last we'll see of Matt Cable, though. <laughs> um, and then we then start the, the final issue here. Um, Etrigan's just going after the Monkey King. Uh, he's tearing up the Monkey King. Swamp King's joining in. They're both battling the Monkey King here. Um, and he tells, he finally tells Abby, and the Monkey King looks crazy and, and insane here, by the way. Like, it's like, he's really morphing into, like, less of a little, like, childlike creature into, like, a truly horrifying, uh, much larger demon, I guess. He's, he's taking maybe more of his full form here in this battle. Um... But, uh, yeah, Swamp Thing joins in to the battle. They're both fighting and the, this Monkey King. And then um, Etrigan tells Abby and Paul, he says, run for the swamp. So they say, all right, whatever. We'll listen to this demon. We've had enough of this Monkey King guy. I'm just going to run. Um, meanwhile, cut back to to uh, Matt Cable. And uh, he's in the car. He's completely, like, crushed. I mean, he's, he's there's blood everywhere. Uh, he's essentially he's He's essentially dead. Uh, except this little insect flies in and says, he's like, oh, no, I don't want to die. And this insect flies up and says, I'm just picturing it like a little fly. You don't have to. I can see that I have alarmed you. Please feel free to scream if you want to. There is no one to hear, and I shall still be here when you're finished. <laughs> so this this little bug creature is like, all right. So now Matt Cable's seeing demonic bugs show up. Good times. Matt Cable's got issues. Uh, meanwhile... Etrigan is going after Paul because he, because Paul is what is binding the creature uh, to this plane of existence. Um, and uh, yeah, like like oh, they they ran with Paul into the swamp, I should say. So so after Etrigan finishes battling the Monkey King, he comes after Paul because he wants to get rid of Paul because like that Monkey King is he's attached himself to Paul because this demon Chimera, and um, Etrigan uh, does want to take out Paul because uh, Paul is who you know is what this Monkey King creature, this Chimera, is attached to. Uh, and then Swamp Thing intervenes. He kind of has a little fight with Etrigan, who uh, rips off his, his Swamp Thing's arm. Uh, which Swamp Thing just puts back on because 
He's just a plant. As we know, it's not a real arm. No big deal. Can't really break it. Uh, and then he punches Etrigan in the face again. And uh, meanwhile, Abby is running through the swamp, uh, carrying Paul uh, when they once again encounter the Monkey King. We then go back to Matt Cable in the car, and he basically makes this deal with this, this fly demon creature. He says, like, uh, look, if you want to see her again, if you want to see Abby again, if you want to see Abby again, I'm afraid you'll have to do something rather unpleasant first. So you know how, as we've learned with Ghost Rider, uh, you know, these deals with demons are never straightforward. Um, Ever. It's always the, the way with these things, and it won't take long. So Matt says, oh, what, what should I do? He says, well, you just have to open your mouth as wide as, as it'll go. Yeah, yep, that's it. Yep, just right. Yep. And uh, this bit part will be a little bit worse, and then bzz, you just hear the buzz, and this fly just enters into into Matt's mouth. <laughs> um and weird things are happening. Uh, then we see Abby. She is seeing Dr. Arcane because, uh, as as we know, this Monkey King, this chimera, people see what they're most afraid of. Um, so she's seeing Dr. Arcane. And then finally, Paul intervenes. And Paul screams because now he sees the Monkey King change. And he knows, oh, this isn't, this isn't really like a monkey. This isn't the scary monkey. Paul screams, no, leave her alone. You killed my mom and my dad, but I'm not afraid of you. This is just like a classic, you know, kind of like horror movie moment where the hero kid just like finally gets the courage to stand up to the monster it's like monsters inc but are and uh that causes him to fade away um and then he he even sees his mom it's like this demon's last gasp to try to stay alive he's like oh honey it's me and he's like no you're not my mom my mom is d-e-a-d dead (laughs) you're a liar you're just pretend you're pretending to be things you can pretend to be a snake or a wolf or a monster and i don't care you're not scaring me you little kittens are scarier than you you're acting not as scary as a mouse and then he starts turning to a mouse you're not even as scary as a little bug and then he turns into a bug this is a theme in this issue and etrigan takes this little bug monkey king and he just eats it <laughs> uh which i guess defeats the demon that's really the, I, I didn't even really realize it when i was reading this there was two scenes in a row where someone ends up eating a bug i'm guessing that's actually not a coincidence uh considering alan Moore's general writing. Uh, but wrapping things up, uh, Etrigan says, hey, all is good. The creature has been caged. I guess it's caged uh, inside inside his, his belly now. He says, you have my thanks. Uh, one warning I'll afford. One warning I will afford. Your parents freed the monkey with a charm. Spelled out in random letters on a board. Was there some further fiend that nudged her, her, their arm? Again, the rhymes always freaking make sense when with Alan Moore's Etrigan dialogue. They're not just like bullshit words he throws in there. Um, the answer, madam, is for you to know. And then he takes off. It's like, okay, so you're just going to pose these questions and then, then get out of here. Okay, great. So he's implying there's some other demonic forces that are, that are going on here um, besides just, you know, this random appearance of this chimera. Uh, but yeah, Swamp Thing walks Paul home, um, and and Paul, I, I really like this scene. Anything's up. Paul is like, so like, w- what did you see? And um, yeah, Swamp Thing, because we thought Etrigan had earlier said, oh, Swamp Thing has no fear to have because he's you know he's just this freaking vegetable. He's not afraid of anything. Uh, so that's why he wasn't uh, able to be defeated. But Swamp Thing actually said, yeah, actually, I I did see fire, uh, and I was a little bit scared because we know that even though he's not Alec Holland, he still does have that those memories of Alec Holland uh, dying through the fire. <clears throat> So imprinted right. in him, basically. Uh, so he does admit he says, actually, yeah, I, I was a little bit scared. And this makes Paul feel a lot better. So that was just a little a little sweet moment there with Swamp Thing. Uh, so that pretty much ends the issue. There is a little teaser here at the end. Abby finds Jason blood. They have a little conversation. 
she has figured out or deduced that he is Etrigan. He is the same demon they saw uh, last night. And uh, Abby wants to know more about this warning that Etrigan said. But he's like, look, yeah, that's me. But, you know, we made a deal where we're kind of both in this body together. But, you know, he's kind of winning the deal here. It's really more it's really more him than me. And I don't always, you know, I don't always know what he's talking about. I don't always get to see what's going on. So sorry, lady, I can't really help you here. Even though I'm a pretty creepy dude myself, I don't actually know what the hell Etrigan's talking about. So got to go. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then Swamp Thing, uh, oh, yeah, and then the last, the very last thing that happens is, uh, Abby's walking home, and then, uh, who pulls up? Oh, it's a good old husband, Matt, who's looking cheery as ever, doesn't look like he was in a car accident at all, car looks fine, and, uh, she hops in the car and drives away, and that's the end of the first volume of the saga of the Swamp Thing. Uh, Remzo, let's just get right to it. What's your review? Writing, art, what's the whole thing? I, or should I give I mine first? Because we already know I'm probably going to be a little biased. You go okay. ahead, you do it. Because I, I, I still, I need. A I've already seconds. teed up. This is one of my favorite you know, runs and stories of everything of all time, uh, and it is true. I'll start with the art. I think the art, general. Again, there's two artists here, so it's hard to you know grade everyone fairly. I'm just going to grade it generally overall between Dennis Day and Swamp Thing. Very good. Very good art for the most part. Very fitting to the story. The art really feels like the story. It feels like it. this wouldn't, to me, I know you said Dennis Day did Justice League. I don't know if I'd love this art as much in a Justice League book. Uh, I don't know if it's like really superhero-y type art necessarily. Uh, but the art is very fitting for, for this writing and for the, the story. Uh, at some, I can't say it's like amazing art, though, really, if I'm, if I'm really going to judge things. Um, like There's a lot, of, a lot of little panels that are kind of like, you know, so, some panels I feel like are really hastily drawn sometimes. Like, so there's certain panels where there's like, wow, this is a really amazing splash page of Swamp Thing showing up or of Etrigan jumping into a building. Other times I feel like it's just kind of like, yeah, here's what's happening, and the, we're going to let the words guide you. So while I generally like the art, I would say it's very good art. I can't give the art like an incredibly high score. So I'm going to give the art a 3.5 which is very good uh get to the writing however um i'm not gonna fuck around here man this is one of my favorite stories of all time alan moore is one of my favorite writers of all time this holds up i love this when i read it 20 years ago i love it again now i also read it again three or four years ago um i think this is freaking amazing i think alan moore like you said it can feel like it's a chore going in but once i get like i have to be like all right do i really want to start reading an alan moore book right now but once i do i'm always satisfied Every word matters, and there's no words you don't need. Even though he writes a lot, every word matters. Every single freaking word means something. Alan Moore is an excellent writer. Um, He's an excellent writer in every way possible, and he has adapted excellent writing that could be in any form. TV, movies, novels, into this format of, into this comic format. I think he's done it incredibly well. I give the writing five. So I'm going to give the total of 8.5 for this first saga of Swamp Thing volume. I, uh, you know, on the writing, I can't disagree. Like, this isn't just good for Swamp Thing. This is just a good story overall. And I think if you are somebody that considers yourself a very avid comic collector and someone that really loves the lore of the different stories that come through this medium, I don't. I think you're doing yourself a disjustice by not having at least read it once. And even though you heard it here, I mean, you're going to get a completely different experience when you go back and actually read it and look at everything for yourself. I'm going to give the writing a five. I mean, it's just, this is just for comic books, even in the eight, like comic books now, everyone's like, oh, this is the next piece of, you know, grand fiction literature. 
this is this is in a time where it's still very experimental and you don't get this with everything so i gotta give it a five uh for the for the art between the two artists like it's good it's really hard for me to judge stuff like this because i look at it through a modern lens like he, he's neither of them are gabrielle delato's but then again gabrielle delato has a lot more technology to actually work with um i always thought that if matt battaglia could do a swamp thing that would be pretty like rad that would Let's be start awesome. a campaign <laughs> get 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 matt battaglia uh to do swamp thing for dc but um with that said you're right the big splash panels they're great uh they're great scenes in all of them but there's not a lot of memorable artwork throughout i'm gonna give it a three for, uh, for both of them so my final score is gonna be an eight out of ten all right eight out of ten only a tick lower than mine so that's pretty good I thought my bias would might bring it up uh, a lot higher above yours, but yeah, it's, it's hard. I don't know. I'd, I'd love to meet the person that doesn't appreciate this this story. I'm sure they exist. I'm sure there are people who don't enjoy Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Um, I can't imagine anyone actually sitting down and reading this and not and trying to argue that it's anything but excellent. I, I really would. If that person exists out there, yeah, shoot shoot us a tweet. You can find us all over social media, anywhere and everywhere. We are always at Second Print Pod. The word second is spelled out um, at Second Print Pod. Instagram, Twitter. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find the Second Print Comics Fan Zone, which you can now only enter by supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Second Print Pod. Well, that's all I've got, and that wraps up Spooktober. Next week, I'll be handing the reins back to you, Remzo. So, until next week, my friends, all I've got to say is... Read comics and what, Remzo? Change the world! Good night, America. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.